and welcome everybody to another episode of the Mind Sculptors. I am your host Callahan, and today we've got another episode of our podcast within a podcast, the Mono White Guys. Joining me today are my co-hosts of the Mono White Guys. First up, you know him, you love him, you know him as the Mono White Guy. It's our good friend Charles Wang out there from Washington D.C. Charles, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, having me, Caleb. Yeah, well, always a pleasure to sit and talk magic with you and always uh, talk about specifically white cards with you. Um, Also joining me from uh, deep in the heart of New York City, my good friend, Dr. Michael Levine. How's it going? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I I think we'll never stop calling me Dr. Michael Levine. It's just... It's forever now. <laughs> that's, that's your title. Name. Yeah. S- someone on Twitter said, why Why do you call him, or maybe it was on YouTube, why do you call him Dr. Michael Levine? His PhD has nothing to do with Magic the Gathering. And Cobblepot <laughs> had to explain to this person that it's tongue in cheek. <laughs> that we don't think we're, we're not doing it seriously. And, and this is what I worried about. <laughs> it is your proper title, though. It, it is my proper title, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, Well, thanks for joining us. We're recording this today, uh, literally the day before release. So I apologize to our patrons that this is not going to be coming out early for you guys. But I got to tell you before we jump into anything else, um, I know you two haven't seen Spider-Man No Way Home yet. I have seen it twice. (laughs) No spoilers. All right. We don't want to spoil our viewers. Uh, Here's what I'll spoil for you. Um, (laughs) At the end of the movie, there is a list of all the people who were in it and worked on the movie. And it's like five minutes long. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And sometimes they take a break for like a little scene. And then there's a scene after after all of this. It's it's really cool. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like any Marvel film, always stick for the credits because there's yes. always the post credits. The worst scenes. part about that, though, was... Um, cause like I'd gone to the bathroom a couple times the first time I saw it cause I have horrible bladder. Um, and so I kind of like try to pick moments where it's like, seems like this is like a good time to go like run to the bathroom real fast. But once you get to the third act, there's like no real good breaks. <laughs> and so I'm just sitting there like holding it. And I read that there were two end credit scenes. So I'm like, I got to sit through this. But I had to pee so bad <laughs> during the end credits. So I'm just sitting there at the edge of my seat. And I could barely enjoy him the first time because I just had to go to the bathroom so bad. The second time, though, was much better because I did not drink um, my body weight and Dr. Pepper while I was <laughs> watching the movie. Um, Probably yeah, a good idea. Should go see it. It's a really good film. Um, I I enjoyed it deeply. But um, you should all see the Walking Phoenix movie. Come on, come on, as well. Has nothing mm. to do with Magic the Gathering or anything that is usually of the interest of Magic the Gathering people. But it's a very good movie. There's like a lot of good movies out right now. Um, yeah. There's like uh, what's that new movie with Javier Bardem? Um, that's oh, it's uh, the one about. Uh, uh, what's her name? Lucy, uh, the P- 
people from I Love Lucy. Um, oh yeah, yeah. They're, they're, that movie looks. Yep. I forget what it's called, but uh, it's really good. Is, is Lucille Ball? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like, uh, what's a Nightmare Alley coming out soon or is out? I think. Um, I think this this time of year is always good for movies. Yeah, I love love me a good Guillermo del Toro. Did I say that right? Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. Del Toro. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I remember when we went and saw Shape of Water, that movie was oh, very yeah, good, good, but it's one of those like you get done with the movie and you're like, what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> My sister really liked that movie. She, I mean, she loved it. It was a good movie. It's mm-hmm. not a bad movie. It's just there's parts of it that it's are. A, I think it's a very good movie. It's just very confusing to most people. Mm-hmm. It's a bizarre movie because um, if you don't think too hard it's just a movie about someone who wants to have sex with a fish and that's what it seems like but it's not what it is <laughs> yeah okay it's, it's but, so spe- but anyway. speaking of good movies in 2021 there's also some good white cards in 2021 there are yeah. also were some good white cards that came out this year so we are going to be doing a um cedh award show um in January, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, I think um, like for this episode, we just wanted to review because white has been something that people have complained about with wizards, and people have felt like has been given the shaft. So we thought that we do this special episode just to review specifically the white cards that Wizards has made for 2021 and see where white is at now because right. we're the mono white guys apparently <laughs> <laughs> um and so michael you got a list together here so if you want to run down what are the categories that we're going to be kind of talking about uh before we kind of dive into everything yeah so speaking of referencing movies uh so i i my grading <laughs> system i use is good the good the bad and the ugly um and <laughs> the idea is that there are the good cards. So these cards are playable that you're going to play them in your EDH, your CDH deck, or they're being seen put, they're seen play in other formats that previously had problems with white cards. And they're kind of the direction we think it'd be great if, if uh, wizards kept going in that direction. Um, the bad on the other hand are just cards that aren't necessarily playable. That doesn't mean their mechanics are bad, but they're just too weak to really be played in any given format or that, you know, specifically the mechanic they're based on isn't that great. And the card is probably well balanced for that mechanic, but that mechanic is just not as good as maybe people thought when designing it. The The last category, the ugly, these are cards that just we wish they would stop designing and printing. Just mm-hmm. cards that are moving in the wrong direction um, for white. And, and I think there's a lot of these that are clearly experiments and, you know, it's okay to have failed experiments. But there, there was a, a a fair number of them this year, and and we'll call those the uglies. Yeah, and I think like for the context for anyone watching, uh, as Michael said, this is not just CDH, right? This is just what we think of these cards in general and their mechanics in general, right? So we'll we'll use examples from CDH, but like some of the cards that we might have listed, you might not have ever seen them in a CDH game, but that might not be the context for what we're evaluating them in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we look at it uh, here first, when we look at these, the the categories we've got here that we're going to be going down through are combat, removal, stacks effects, 
card advantage ramp and just well-rounded cards. Um, so looking at it first here at combat effects, um, and you listed three cards here, Michael and Charles, that resolve the conflict between the tall and wide. What do you mean when you say tall and wide? Michael, do you uh, want to do yeah. this or do you want me to do yeah, it? <laughs> I, yeah, I can do it. So one of the, the things that I think has been a problem for white design for a really long time is that they push in, in two directions in combat. So there is this tall idea where you're going to put a bunch of auras on a creature or you're going to pump a creature with a lot of other effects, equipment maybe, um, and you're just going to attack with this one big creature and you're going to play like this protect the queen strategy, uh, kind of like in the Boggles deck in, in Modern um, or a Voltron deck in EDH. And that's kind of hard because they also push these these go wide effects. And by that, I mean like token generation effects, anthem effects. And it's really hard when in one set you need to print cards that go in both directions. Cause you know, in any given set, you, you really don't have that many design slots. And I think that this has been a pretty big problem for, for white for a long time. And that some of the good cards, if you want to go wide, you know, good cards get printed that are for going tall or vice versa. And you don't get any new toys and overall, both decks kind of move kind of slowly in terms of their progress. And, and I think recently this year, they did a really good job at, at figuring out how to resolve that conflict of making cards that are both good for going wide and for going tall. And so the three cards that we have listed here for this are Paladin Class, um, Adeline, Resplendent, Cathar, and Intrepid Adversary. So what is it that these cards did specifically to really do a good job of bridging that gap? Well, I think Charles and I agree that Paladin Class is a, an amazingly well-designed card. I, I think it's the kind of card... So the reason why I like it is that it's kind of always worthwhile for the cost what it does. So one mana to make people not be able to interact with you on your turn, that's a fine, that's a fine cost. You know, three mana for an anthem, that's been the going rate for anthems for a really long time. And it, it's been hard to lower it below three. Uh, usually you, you keep it at three and try to give it some extra, which in this case, the extra is that tax effect. And then the five is just like this amazing go wide, go tall effect. If the five is whenever you attack, one of your creatures gets uh, double strike and plus one plus one for each other attacking creature. And that's great because the first, the second mode, the one that is the anthem effect says play a lot of creatures, but the third one says, you know, make it really stressful for your opponent to, to lock because there's going to be one really big creature and then a bunch of moderately sized creatures. And I think that that's really, really nice. When I think about how I play it in my Heliod deck, like sometimes you are going wide, you have a bunch of hate bears, you might have constructs from an Urza saga. Um, and the pump effect is really nice. But then saying like, yes, my one flyer, my Akron of Emeria is just going to slam into another player for a ton of damage while I can spread the rest of that damage elsewhere. It, it's just it's just so good. And it it doesn't make you feel like you have to worry about, am I going wider? Am I going tall? You're just going to combat. And I, I think that that is a great way to design a card in white. Yeah, because even if you're just attacking with one creature, the double strike just means so much. Yeah. Right? Uh, and so it's it's the kind of card that rewards you for either direction that you're going with. And um, it, it continues to reward you as you build towards either direction as well. Yeah, it scales and, and very that, well. 
And that's kind of the same thing with Adeline, right? Like Adeline does that thing where um, you make, especially in EDH, right? Like you make a token for each opponent. Um, and then you, it, that also makes Adeline grow because Adeline's power is equal to the number of creatures you control. So not only uh, do you have to deal with the fact that there's tokens coming at you, but now there's also a big, uh, big major creature. And uh, it's interesting because when we look at this, we've seen kind of this resurgence uh, of wing conless stacks of just like winning through beats Mm -hmm. in CEDH recently. And this is kind of partially a card that plays into those types of strategies really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the, the the cards that let you flood the board but go big against the person who has blockers is like really, really nice. And I, I know I've talked to some people who are playing Mono White, Adeline, Wincona stacks and really liking it because she just gets so big in an EDH deck. Um, yeah. So I, I'm really happy with that design. And, you know, it's funny because it's like a callback to this old, um, I think it was one of the Innistrad sets. Um, there was one where like if it, it was a one colors, one white, one, one. And if you controlled, I think, four or more creatures, you flipped it. And then it had mm-hmm. each turn it made a one, one and its power and toughness were equal to the number of creatures you control. And I think yep. that was the first card I see. I always think about that card because I always want to play it. And it's just not good enough. Like it's just a little too weak for what it is. But it does the thing I want, which is it right. says it's going to let me go wide. But it becomes this its own threat that is very mana efficient. So I think mm-hmm. they did that. They did a good job with Adeline making that kind of card that is just like man efficient enough and scales well enough that you're going to want to play this. Yeah. Uh, I, it's funny that, that, that you brought up the card because uh, I, I, I actually do play in like a budget white deck that I built uh, and I'm pulling it up cause it's, it's Hanware militia captain. Yep. It's the card that you're yep. talking about. Yeah, she she she's pretty cool, and yeah, she's really hard to pull off because uh, her her return of value doesn't come until your next turn when she flips, but then she creates the one one at the end step, and so it, it there's this whole thing where you know you basically have to wait a full turn cycle for her to flip, which is kind of like the really awkward thing in a four player game. Yeah. Uh, she was designed back in the days when wizards only had to care about one v one. But now they yeah. now Adeline is basically that kind of card that works well in multiplayer, and I guess on its own is still a reasonable threat, right? Like the problem mm-hmm. with the militia captain is it doesn't flip unless you have all these other creatures on the board. Right. Whereas Adeline just creates her own fuel, um, which is is really good. Doesn't need any extra. You can top deck it on an empty board, and soon your board is very full. Yeah, and I think like an important thing to note because we just talked about Paladin class, and we're now talking about Adeline and. Actually, Onward Militia Captain is a good example of this, too, because these are like three different cards that both revolve around going wide and going tall, but they all operate on different axes. And one of them isn't as great as the others. Mm -hmm. And uh, to and to showcase why. Right. When we look at something like Paladin Class, Paladin Class rewards you for going wide or tall. And so you're never forced to to feel like you have to play in a certain direction to play Paladin Class, per se. Right. And Adeline is a 
doesn't reward you for going wide or tall. She just goes wide and tall as you're doing what she's supposed to be doing. And so there is no actual real reward to it. It's just that she is a provider of those types of means. And this is uh, what I do. (laughs) Yeah. If you have pounding class, right. If you have pounding class, right. You actually kind of have like the lock and key model here. You have both the lock and the key here where pounding class rewards you for going wide and tall out of line does the wide and tall simultaneously. And so if you have both of them out, like suddenly Adeline, like you could give Adeline double strike and suddenly she's huge and all your tokens are two twos. Right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. So, 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 so they fit very well together. One is something that rewards you for doing uh wide or tall strategies. And the other one, you know, doesn't force you to go wide or tall. It just does both like poor Kalos dose. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you, but then you look at Hanware Militia Captain, and the problem with this design is that you have to go wide first before it flips into something tall, right? And so uh, there is a reward. The reward is that you finally get something that's tall, right? But the, and continues to go wide, but it and yeah, continues you, to go wide. You need to yeah. go wide on your own first. Yeah. And so, and so you're, you're actually funneled towards a specific design practice and your, your, your payoff might not really be there. Right. And yeah. that's, that, that, that's a problem with, with a design like that. Whereas this is more fluid, right? Like Adeline has no cost. You just go into attack mode and you, you get those benefits. Paladin class, like you play on turn one and each of the modes, you can just do it on your own time. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and you can curve off very easily into it, but like Hanwar militia captain, you have to wait a full turn cycle and in a EDH game that could be like three more turns before it actually really flips. The other thing with Adeline that I think is really important. And I think kind of it's glossed over in this discussion is so a lot of times in these go wide, go big strategies, you have to swing out and kind of, open yourself up mm-hmm. to, you know, the, the kick the back. back. Yeah. Yeah. And this does not open you up to that because she has vigilance. Mm-hmm. And I think that really adds a layer of power that I think kind of gets uh, like under undervalued mm-hmm. because the ability to swing my seven four at you and not be worried about whatever is coming back in my face because I still have a seven four here um, is honestly just like what makes that card excellent in my opinion. Yeah. And so I think the other card on the list, the intrepid adversary does that same thing um, mm-hmm. in a similar way where it's like, so the thing I really like about that card is that this like kind of ETB multi kicker thing they've, they've created. It doesn't just create an anthem effect it it's an anthem for itself too so you know as you make your other creatures bigger you make it bigger and it has lifelink so again it's like uh you know you don't have to worry about the crackback as much because you're gaining life as you deal the damage and it's kind of like a preemptive fog it's saying you know i'm gonna make up for the what you're gonna hit me for and and i really like that i mean it's one of my favorite parts about the heliod deck is that you know i usually don't need to worry about blocking because i can just give my attacking creatures lifelink and I'll be fine. And it's why, you know, Batter Skull is like such a good card because it has both Vigilance and Lifelink, right? You, oh, like, yeah. you get to go to go just start swinging and it's so hard to race because not only is it a blocker, it's gaining life when it, it does damage. And if you attack, 
it's going to gain more life too. And so like, I think the idea of using Vigilant or Lifelink to soften the crackback problem uh, is really nice. And as somebody also, who has equipped a batter skull to a Crom, yes, yes. <laughs> it's quite good. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think in, intrepid, uh, in, intrepid adversary kind of reminds me of another card that is a, an earlier attempt, I think for them to, do something with this go wide, go tall thing, which is angel of invention. Mm-hmm. So in that card, right, they gave it the modularity. You could either have it come out as this four, three flying, flying vigilance, vigilance flying. Yeah. with the Anthem effect, or you can create more creatures to synergize with the, with the Anthem effect. So you're going to make, mm-hmm. you know, two, one, one servos that are really two twos. And that card is so good, by the way, because its base stats are 2-1, which means uh, that you can tutor for it with yeah. uh, Recruit of the Guard. You can recur it, right? Uh, yeah. Like, it's uh, it's surprisingly very versatile because of its base stats. <laughs> yeah, so I think that the, the interesting thing they did to... I mean, I think Angel of Mention is a very good card, but it's not going to see a lot of, like, CDH play, and it's a little hard to see play in Eternal formats. So you think about Intrepid Adversary. It was really good in Standard, right? It was really good in Standard, yeah. But Intrepid Adversary scales. Like, you can play it turn two as a 3-1 lifelink. You can play it turn four as a 4-2 lifelink that is a Anthem. I mean, the later it goes, the the better it gets. Whereas, you know, with Angel, you have to wait to turn five. And I like what they did where they said, all right, if we're going to give you these cool effects that allow you to go big go tall and wide uh we're gonna let you do it early too they're not gonna be useless cards in the in the early game so like paladin class adeline intrepid adversary all cards that can be cast early on but really get better with time right. and and i like that design feature especially for white where you're usually kind of forced into playing cheaper spells because of the way white is designed like mono white decks really don't want to play angel of invention always because you're not building especially in 60 card formats like white weenie decks that want to get to five mana. <laughs> but Trepid right. Adversary is an aggressively costed 3-1 lifelink for two that just so happens in the late game to have a lot of very important extra text. Uh, Paladin class is something nice against a control deck that wants to be playing on your turn that turns into an anthem in an uncounterable fashion. And then when the game gets really late, just makes like things hit so hard. So I, I think that they've done a good job there of saying... These cards allow for either strategy and they don't force you to wait until turn five to play them. You will get value always. They're not dead cards. So I think these are home run cards uh, design wise, even if Intrepid Adversary is not seeing that much play in like the the modern formats and stuff. And and I don't know how much it's seen play in EDH. I think it's a really good design regardless. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the next piece here in combat are payoffs for going wide. And so here are the three cards we've got are Nodar, Selfless Paladin, Leon and Light Scribe, and Righteous Valkyrie. So kind of uh, go into, you know, Nadar being a venture into the dungeon uh, oriented uh, card. What is it that that really brings to the table and why it's so good? I, I like Ndar's de- design. So I think it's a really... The, the nice thing about it is, right, it beca- it's a three mana, three, three with Vigilance. So that's already good for these these combat decks. 
the the fact that it creates an anthem effect later on is great. It's a good reward for going wide. Um, it, it's not really a go tall card, right? Like it it wants to ETB an attack, so you could say, well, you do benefit if you like put some equipment on it. But it's not really that. It's like this nice efficiently call like costed value card that then just says, oh, cool. Were you also going wide because I've drawn you a bunch of, or I've like you know helped you get towards a bunch of tokens, say through the dungeons, and now the tokens are big. And I think that that's a that's a fairly good design. It gives you a nice payoff for doing things you already want to be doing, which is attacking. You know, it helps produce some of the tokens for going wide, anyways. I think that's a good design. And it's also a, a nice way of actually using a set's main mechanic. I, I think that one problem I've noticed in mono white is often the main set mechanics don't play towards making cool cards in white always. Um, mm. And this is a good one where like venture into the dungeon made a lot of sense for white. And it's good that they got a good card um, or a relatively strong white card that uses that mechanic. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like the design of Nadar in general. Um, I like the fact that, like, with the dungeons, like, especially if we only have seen three dungeons right now, but who's to say in the future that Wizards will produce more dungeons that only, like, increases, like, the, the level of modality that mm-hmm. Nadar brings to the table. I imagine I like the fa- in um, Commander Legends, D- the Commander Legends D&D set we're getting this coming year, uh, we'll probably get some new dungeons. Yeah, and, and the Nodar can only get better because it's similar to like equipments. Like the early, like Stoneforge Mystic, for example, was a card that uh, when it came out, did it did it come out? Yeah, it came out before Batterskull came out, right? Correct. Yeah, uh, and I think yeah. before the Swords came out, right? Uh, well, the or, Sword or of Fire and Ice and was, was the before. original Mirrored and Swords. Yeah, Sword of Fire yeah, and Ice yeah, was yeah. the original Mirrored and Sword, but Feast and Famine was before. Uh, was after Stoneforge Mystic, right? Mm. But but this is like you know one of those. I mean, but there was already Umazawa's Jite and um and Sword of Fire and Ice, and so you had that going for for Stoneforge Mystic. But I think Batterskull really pushed it over the edge, and that's like kind of like the thing to note is that when you have a card that revolves around like a key like uh, mechanic or gimmick, and you know that Wizards is going to continue to invest in that, then that card's ceiling is only going to get higher, especially mm-hmm. when they have like a giveaway like that, where it's like, Oh, you can put any equipment. There's no restriction to this. Yep. Right. It's uh, it's one of the things that wizards has been doing lately now in being more cautious about their design, where they have this extra addendum to their triggered abilities where it's like, Oh, this only triggers once per turn. Right. Uh, and you know, to, to every other magic players, like, chagrin being like oh well this card now sucks <laughs> um but it's, I, a, it's a good safety feature i think if they want to yeah. i think if they want to make etbs really do powerful things or they want to make triggered abilities do powerful things they're gonna have to put some controls on them because it, it's really easy for them to just really get out of control um so the once a turn thing is a good way to be like the payoff for the triggered ability is high but you're not going to be able to just win off of it in a turn. And yeah. I think that's really, that's a good idea. 
it's a uh, it's something and so just for people who only exclusively play magic um i was just entertaining a friend yesterday and we were playing legends of runeterra like i've i've seen this safety feature in legends of runeterra as well and it and i think like it's actually common practice now across the board with card design that like for card designers that's just been something they focus on i'm not sure how well this will work with magic the gathering specifically because it's pandora's box once you open it you can't put it back like people will constantly compare these new safety features to like older card designs and if you play like eternal formats like legacy or or commander you're you're just going to ask yourself like well why would i play with this card the other thing is too is we've been shown with etb effects or effects that only trigger once per turn right like i think of uh what are some of the green cards that do it i'm blanking really hard right now um like um i don't know any of the green cards that like return a forest to your hand oh yeah they they did all the untapped ones so not make them broken right made them you know no more than once a turn yeah they're still broken cards right um yeah because like you can, there's ways to get around that so that you can continue to do the thing. Oh yeah, like Corian Ranger or yeah. Wildwood Symbiote, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, like, scrib. I it's one one of those things where, like, I think putting it on ETB effects is like, I think it's a little unnecessary because I think it's like that's why I think like in Magic, I think there's enough ways to get around it that are easy enough that it's like. Did we really need to tack that on and then cut it off from other, other like strategies? But that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, it's just yeah. if you've ever played against Risen Reef, you know why maybe you would want certain things to only trigger once per turn. Like there are so many decks that abuse the fact that these triggers that create a lot of value can be easily triggered more than once. So I, I'm not really that upset that they've put these requirements on cards. I think they just have to make sure that the the payoff for the trigger is big enough that, you know, it's that once per turn, it still makes an impact. Right. And I think they've done enough of a job for that to be the case. I don't think any of the things that I've seen, like can only trigger once per turn for the most part that I've seen have been like, Oh wow, that's really good. Even at once per turn, I feel like all of them have been like, okay. Yeah, I will say we'll get to one of them that I think is very good uh, that is technically within that design constraint later. But Esper Sentinel is is obviously designed to only trigger once per turn per player, and it's still an insane card. Yeah. So, so like, Um, you can, and, like, if you think about even in other formats, like Omnath, the way they did the land trigger, so each ETB of the land does a different thing, so you can't just, you know over and over again, gain four life off your fetches and things. You have to do other things. That's probably good design space because Omnath is still a crazy card in modern. So I, I think that they can make powerful cards that don't let you abuse the, the triggered effects too much, um, but they probably have to consider how powerful of the effect it should right. be. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other uh, card thinking- that we mentioned here was Leonin Light Scribe and Righteous Valkyrie and these are two cards that I've seen a lot of in historic. And, you know, when we're talking about these cards, like what is it that really you feel like set them apart as like the go? Like I could tell you why they're great payoffs for going wide, but like in your words, why do you kind of see them as really great uh, 
go wide type of cards. Charles, you love the light scribe, don't you? Do you want to talk about it? <laughs> oh, I, I do love them, but I don't really play them a lot in his story. I just love the design so much. It's the because the thing is that like he triggered so so more contemporary anthem effects usually only affect other creatures, not the actual mm-hmm. anthem creature itself. But light scribe, you know, actually works on himself. And so uh it essentially is like prowess, right? It it really it pretty much is like prowess. Um, Team prowess. Yeah, but it, but it works with the whole entire team, and that's crazy when you think about that. Like, if, if, like people are running like you know monastery monastery Swiss rear. I almost accidentally said Taylor Swiss rear because that's what I call her. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I, I made this joke to Rebel like so many times when I played that card. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, like think about how good she is, and then think about like what what, what happens if you just have a whole army of her? You know. It's crazy. Uh, and the fact that it happened, like you can play an instant. And so you get an instant speed anthem effect on like your opponent's turn or like during the middle of combat. It makes it so that like, you know, if you are going wide, you just constantly have this present threat because the more creatures you have, the more multi multiplicative the effect becomes. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, and like, you know, I, I, I would be talking about the fundamentals of, of what it means for an Anthem effect. But the reason why, like when you look at Paladin class and a card like Glorious Anthem, they all cost around three mana. Like every single Lord effect, like think of Goblin Lord or Elvish Champion or whatever, right? They, they all cost around three mana. And the reason why is that Wizards has figured out this formula for like Anthem effects being around this this price range of a cost because of how powerful anthem effects are. Like if you have like two one ones, they then become two twos and now you're swinging for four points of damage on turn three, right? Which is actually kind of crazy. Um, when you think about how limited is is built and other and those other kinds of formats, uh, and so going on curve like that, and if you have suddenly like, I think players might have seen these effects a few times now, where there are like you know put three one ones into play, right? And one single anthem effect immediately converts into six points of damage off of a spell that only costs like three or four mana, uh, and they start attacking the turn that you play your anthem effect. That's pretty crazy. So think about this with Lean and light scribe now where you can scale it for each spell you play and so those three one ones are now two twos that then become three threes right just because you play two spells that turn and you're doing something you probably already want to do right you're just playing spells the payoff is like the basic thing you do in magic you are casting Mm -hmm. spells it's constrained to what spells you you know it's just instants or sorceries but still it's not like the prowess decks have shown it's so easy to build around that Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so and so that, that that's the thing to like. I I would say is so great about Lean and Lightscribe and the Magecraft ability. Like Magecraft itself is already a very powerful mechanic, and I think you know. In stri- the green black one. Oh no! What happened Charles to Charles? Does he know, or is he still talking? I don't know. <laughs> So I bet he's still talking. <laughs> I I would bet that he's still talking as well. Oh, he's back. Oh, I he's I back. got I got kicked out <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> Exiled there, my friend. Uh, let's see if the audio is still uploading. Yeah, it's still uploading. Okay, you're good. Cool, because it says sixty seven percent right now. Yeah, it'll 
it'll catch up. All right, it's at ninety nine percent. It'll just be two files that I download. Okay, You're okay. Yeah. So, so what? Uh, what? What did I say before I got kicked out? Um, mm. Alahan is the greatest magic player. <laughs> You're talking about Magecraft. What was um, you were going to oh, reference? Yeah. Another card? Yeah, yeah. There's a. Like, like, like Magecraft is, was, I think, like a home run in terms of a mechanic that they introduced. It was very powerful. I, I won't be surprised if we see Magecraft again, right? In, in some, in some other set or as a one of, uh, it, it seems very good. And there was a clever Luminancer was another one that was very popular. I think in standard, it was a zero one. That's the one mana one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, it's very evident of how powerful Magecraft is, but also how powerful a single pump is to your creatures. Mm-hmm. And they just printed Flusterstorm into modern. It's making me actually want to play a deck with Light Scribe and like Phantasmal Image mm-hmm. and Flusterstorm. And just, it's, I mean, it's like too bad Gitaxian Probe is illegal because I would uh, love to Gitaxian Probe for free like twice and then fluster the last one and then attack with a bunch of like 8 8s. Uh, no, just play like Gutshot over and over. Yeah, I was in my head as Charles was talking. I was like, oh my God, can I play a Lava Dart in that deck? Is this like a Jeskai deck? And I just like, it's like, it reminds me of the Landfall decks, except yeah. cooler because I like casting spells. You can play um, like this monastery, this and monastery Swissphere in the same deck like, right now. Yeah, and then like Phantasmal Image. And then it's just like. <laughs> uh, it seems very fun. Burn, blue burned. <laughs> yeah. And that's the other thing. Like you can almost just play it in a burn deck. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's not going to be in modern burn any day soon. But like if you wanted to play like a fun burn deck. This is a card you could play in your fun Burroughs. I, I was thinking that like if you in CEDH were trying to build a burn deck, this is probably what you play over something like Monastery Swiss Spear. Yeah, because it pumps everything. Yeah, it seems so much better. Like you would play this, you would play um, uh, Monastery Mentor, like. Yeah. Those types of effects. This with Monastery Mentor actually would be insane. Oh, it's good with um, Sedgemore Witch too, which is from the is from the same set. Same set. Yeah, because it's also that that's like the one of the best Magecraft cards, right? Because it's basically mm-hmm. it's basically Monastery Mentor. Um, but making it a three two menace means it's good completely on its own. The fact that it and has ward, like Yeah, the ward is really big with that too. But and again, that's a black card. Yeah, it's a black card. The fact that you flusterstorm someone's spell on their turn and you get like four creatures is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. But anyways, the Righteous Valkyrie 2 is a very cool card. The reason why I specifically like this card is because it rewards you for another strategy that I think is nice to pump up, which is life gain. Like they've had a really hard time giving the appropriate payoffs for life gain to white. Um, and it really does well with the, the cards that people want to use to gain life. Like if you're playing a, a soul warden deck, like you want to play a bunch of creatures out to get life gain triggers. Now this one is going to say, well, once you've done that, all those creatures are going to be big, which is a great payoff. And it right. gets around like the pride mates, the lean and pride mates problem of you get one payoff card that if they just blow it up with a fatal push, you know, all of that life gain was just delaying the inevitable. Oh, I know. Here, this is like I played uh, Rakdos midrange in Historic against this card a lot. And like, th- 
this is the bane of every Rakdos mid-range deck out there because this card just kind of doesn't care about your strategy. No, it says I'm going to gain so much life and once I've done it, all my things are going to be huge and there's nothing you can do about it. And it's like outside of bolt range. I mean, now that in in the other formats, there are cards that <laughs> for one red that deal six damage. Um, it's not, you know, so good because it's out of burn range. But I know like when I play it playing AWAC in modern, I have to like goblin grenade it and that feels really, really bad. So the fact that it's like an aggressively costed creature with a really good life gain trigger that then rewards you for going wide and gaining life in in a place where a go wide life gain deck already exists. Like that's really, that's really good. It, it powers up a deck that's historically thought is, you know, weak. It, it helps you get better payoffs for gaining life and it has a strong payoff for going wide. So I, I really like the design of that card, even though every time I play it, I'm just so sad because I'm playing my red burn deck and you're going to gain so much life <laughs> mm-hmm. so fast. So let's look at this next category of burns or uh, bombs that aren't actually bombs. And we've got Halvar, God of Battle slash Sword of the Realms. Uh, we've got Icing Death and Valkyrie Harbinger. And, and what makes these bombs that aren't actually bombs. well i can say that the first two have something to deal with equipments but it's really like i think i was so happy with halvar when it came out at least the flip side the the, the front side of halvar i wasn't too interested in i think it's just too much of a cost to actually get the thing that you want it to do happening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it just doesn't really pay off very well i think that uh w- I, I think that Halvar was an experiment and Icing Death was just a throwaway that they had for a core set, which was their, their D&D set. But for Halvar, I think they wanted to see, because like if you actually got Halvar to work, right, it's actually really amazing, the effect that he does. Uh, Halvar is worse Arden. Yeah. So that's the thing. I, I think that it the double strike thing is cool and like the other move equipment is cool, but for the cost it doesn't do enough. Like double strike is a fine benefit, but it's not that huge. Um, if you're going to give something double strike, you can do it a lot of other ways. And to be honest, the back half is usually better. So you're probably going to be casting it as the back half until you get another right. copy, which is obviously not relevant in EDH, but um, in the back half is still mana intensive for what it does. Mm-hmm. So it, it just, it's not this like, big splashy card it's like a pretty good mid power card it's like a eh. yeah well like the way that i describe it is like look at look at look at halvar so callahan point pointed out like there's halvar and then there's arden right arden was an uncommon from commander legends three mana two two that can move any number of of auras and equipments uh, onto any permanent right or a player uh and that and that's something that's really important to note is that arden has more flexibility in terms of his targets arden can move curses you can skull clamp people's dorks yes yeah but <laughs> like, it's so much you can fun. skull clamp people's dorks you can move something like curse of exhaustion which is a or like a, a curse rule of law onto another player right you could do so much more with arden in terms of what you want to do with equipments and auras right and so mm-hmm. halvar you know is also in that same department it wants to reward you for playing equipment 
equipments and auras. Because if you have a deck that doesn't have equipments and auras, then the first ability of, of Halvar doesn't do anything, and neither does the second. You just have a 4 4, right? Mm-hmm. So now when we have a deck that's an equipment aura based, right? Like, say that I'm like not even thinking about CDH, like I just want to build an equipment aura deck and I'm using Halvar as my commander. Why would I use Halvar over uh, Arden? Well, you know, Halvar gives me double strike for my stuff, right? And, and that's fine. But now when you think about like the opportunity cost of playing that, you have to already have an equipment or aura in play if you want an immediate payoff. If you don't have an equipment or aura attached to a creature the turn that you play Havar, you have to wait a full turn cycle before you get to doing that, right? And, and this is like, and say that you play on a curve, so this is turn four, right? Turn five is then when you be you know, equipping or enchanting something and playing equipment and equipping it are, will probably already cost you up like that whole spectrum of mana that you spend on turn five, unless if it's like a skull clamp. But the problem with a card like skull clamp is that you're never really equipping it to like get the effect. You're usually equipping it to kill something and then drawing the well, card. Well, think about like batter skull, yeah. right? Like batter skulls, like five mana. Yeah. And so, so it's like by the time you're getting around to casting Halvar, you probably already put, uh, Bowder skull into play and you're probably able to just equip it right? yeah well like, halvar will equip it for you right but like the thing is that that's five mana to just play the batter skull and you probably don't even want to move it because you want to go wide kind of like what we were talking about previously about going tall and going wide right well i would want to play another equipment and equip it onto halvar while i have my germ token that has lifelink double strike and, and vigilance now right but the the, the problem here is that I can't attack with my equipment the turn that I played it, or I can't attack with Batter Skull the turn that I play it, unless if I'm willing to sacrifice my germ token and move it over to Halvar and swing for like 16, which sounds really nice, but I'm no longer going wide, you know? And so, yeah. and so there's, so there's so much, uh, baggage to that that might not necessarily even just be with Halvor, but with the way that we design equipments in Wizards of the Coast, right? Like the and equipments are designed a certain way now because of cards like Stoneforge Mystic affecting the way that equipments are designed. Like you see equipments now with a higher equip cost, right? Yeah. Like they're, they're they're cheaper to cast, but they cost more to equip because of Stoneforge Mystic exists. Uh, and so Halvor runs into this type of rub right where it, it can be very difficult to to have a have our deck look good when you have other options like even Balin wandering night which was like from uh like i think a commander pre-con commander 2017 right and like she 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 gives herself double strike as long as she has two or more equipments to it and like when you think about like the procedure of having your board state set up to actually get that payoff like bailing is probably easier to have accomplish than it is to actually get halvar to work yeah so i i think a lot of people are excited about it because the backside seems good but the backside's not aggressively costed enough for you to like justify putting Halvar in your deck. Mm-hmm. Um, you're paying a lot for the modality, and then the set, the mode, the Haldar mode, is not actually enough to really pay the cost for the for the backside, which is sad because I, I I liked when I was hearing people were, were testing it in like Heliod and stuff. But I think everyone that was testing in Heliod very quickly removed it yeah. <laughs> from their deck, and and that that's kind of sad. And I think Icing Death, like you said, it's probably, you know, filler. It's just sad. If you're going to make named legendary white creatures that 
where the rest of them are flashy in that cycle, it's sad when white gets like a non-flashy one. It's not even non-flashy. It's just not good. And (laughs) it's sad. It really makes me sad. I think, I think it would have just been better if I seen death had the like ability that the equipment gave. Uh, And that probably would have tipped it over to being decent. The, the equipment itself is not that bad, but like, the, the problem is that like I'm spending four mana for four three flying vigilance and it doesn't do anything else yeah. than that right and but when it dies I get this neat equipment that actually does something to help me out in combat right but but that's yeah I yeah mean, I thought it, most it, of the dragon the legendary dragons from the from adventures in forgotten realms overall were pretty like. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like, Old Knobbone is at least, like, an exciting card. Oh, yeah. Right. right the yeah. one that makes charges equal damage. Like, there, this one's not really exciting. The, the, like, the payoff is not that good. Like, I was wondering for the equipment that it, it gives you, right? Plus two, plus seven, whenever it attacks, tap a defending creature, like, equip two. What would you pay for that card? Probably only two mana to begin with. So, like, you're getting a two mana value thing for free when you're. Four three flying vigilance dies. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem yeah. Good enough. It seems like you're doing a lot of work just to get the equipment. If all you want is the equipment, right? And which is why I was yeah. saying like if it had that, if it had the ability from the equipment attached to the creature while it's alive, right? Then it feels like you you got something that was worth your while. But if you spent four mana for a four three flying vigilance, you're just kind of like, well, I don't know. Sarah the Benevolent makes a full four flying vigilance. That's that's. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it, it's weird because the tap a defending creature thing is a really good limited mechanic, but they put it on a mythic, and they so like and you only get it right, when it dies, yeah. right? And so it's yeah. like so it's like if they blow up your bomb, you get this okay equipment. Yeah, that's that makes no sense. So I, I'm really sad about that design. Um, I think this card was designed and perhaps I'm wrong with I I feel like there were cards in AFR that were designed very top down if that makes sense Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think this is one of those cards that was designed of this is a thing in the world and this is a thing that you get from that thing in the world Mm -hmm. so like, I mean, how do we translate that into a card? And I think that is an interesting, like, look more at some of because I've talked before about how I, I really think top down design is really interesting. Right. But this is kind of like a good example of maybe not the greatest top down design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I I think like they, they deliberately powered this down. They could have given it. Well, I think the the other problem is that this is this is a weird thing that I, that not many people will ever think about, but it's like the word space economy on the text. Like they could have yeah. given it like the that triggered ability that says whenever whenever this attacks, tap target creature defending player controls, but they would have no room to fit it into that text box. And so instead they just gave it the death trigger. But because the sad thing though, it could have been a disturb like the card itself, I know it's the top down design, but like a card with this me- mechanic space could have been printed with disturb, mm-hmm. right? 
And Disturb is basically that. It's not reusable, but like Disturb, the way they did Disturb with enchantments on the backside, auras, the auras often give the abilities the front side had. So they could have made this a 4-3 Flying Vigilance that that taps a creature when you attack. And then the Disturb, when it died, you could cast the Disturb side, which was the equipment, if it they'd done it that way, and said equipped creature gets, you know, that ability. It, it, it was totally doable with the mechanical space that we would see just like and what, we've had MBFCs before this too. Yeah, well, Disturb didn't come out until like later this year, unfortunately. Yeah, it just it's sad because you can imagine a better version of this card using the Disturb mechanic or a variant of it, and instead we got this one. Yeah, there's and, also and, a level <laughs> two of it that I imagine plays into the we don't have any double-sided cards in the set so yeah. we don't want to print double so like one because i've read articles there's a logistical about how, thing Mar- yeah. Mar- Mar- talks about it a lot there's a whole logistical problem with double-sided cards so you can't really just like put one in mm-hmm. but it just sucks to see design space kind of wasted i guess yeah because like yeah. they're not going to print reprint it as a disturbed card with a different flavor it's going to be there because people don't like seeing like similar cards and yeah. too close this of time is, this is very good insight for those of you wondering why does a card end up sucking so much <laughs> yeah it's like sometimes it's because like the designer already knows like man this isn't a great card but we really have no choice kind of thing yeah yeah and and and, and and for context with the top-down design, as what Callahan talked about, like Icing Death, like his teeth become the blades for like one of the most like quote unquote badass DD characters, Dritz, right? And and it's supposed to be like a really cool weapon that 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 he's got as well. Um and and can I just say this is the second failure? Like if we go back to Hal- Halvar, mm-hmm. the equipment. That's supposed to be so powerful. Does nothing. I mean, I mean, it, it, Halvar's equipment is an interesting equipment, but like it had to do more to be the thing that is like the most powerful sword Mm -hmm. on Kaldheim. Like it's like the thing Tibble came to the Tibble came to the plane for. Yeah. He came on the sword. Yeah. 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 Cause he can tear a hole through, through the realms with the sword. Yeah, and this sword that they printed cannot tear a hole through anything. <laughs> but, like, 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 I don't understand. And it's the same thing for Icing Death. Yeah. Like, the, the equipment you get from Icing Death dying is like a not good, even that good. Uh, it, it would be like a good uncommon for limited. Yeah. And, and that it blows my mind that like that's the payoffs they're giving white for equipment. And it's it, part of it's because they're scared of equipment. Because it, it seems like you can really go wrong on the design of equipment, and I get that. But, like, they just put the culture complete in Modern Horizons 2. They're clearly not that worried about making design mistakes with equipment in the formats that have Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah. I, like, think, <laughs> I, I think it's this... There, there, there is a level of, and I think this is probably fair, of not wanting to repeat having Cobblade in your standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, and I think that's probably where yep, that comes yep. from. It's definitely is, that it's like, it's, it's, Hey, this is a set that we need to be really like tame on. And then here's a set where we can just turn the dial to 11. You well, know? And that's the other thing too, is like modern horizons. You can safely throw insane cards into modern horizons because like ragavan and standard 
would just run standard, right? Mm-hmm. But like Ragavan in modern, yes, it's running that format, but there's counterplay to it. There's a lot of like you can print that into eternal formats and it not like be the end of the world, although you could argue that it's really bad legacy. Um <laughs> it's kind of destroyed legacy. Uh but Le- legacy like, suffers from the confluence of really good synergies. The the core of the blue red deck is just too good and anyone card in it people will be mad if you ban it but you literally just need to like ban the whole core of that deck so it doesn't exist anymore mm-hmm. which yeah. is so sad if you can only have a rule you cannot play these cards in combination yeah i know that'd be too complicated for magic players but like you can't play days and ragavan in the same deck you can't play <laughs> imagine if days also read you cannot play the one thing mana that's creatures. wild about, not to go too far down this tangent but the thing that blows my mind is that Delver Delver was like this huge thing in legacy for years and years and years and years and years. And now it's just morphed into they don't even play Delvers anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, you don't need to because now you have Darcy and Darcy's just way better than yeah. Delver. And now you yeah, I was watching a, a game where someone was playing Ragavan and Darcy. And uh Darcy, by the way, is Dragon Rage Chandler for those who don't know what that card is. And, and I'm just like yeah, that Ragavan looks good, but I think like Dragon Rage Channeler is doing all the work for you. He's like, yeah, it's doing a whole lot of work for me right now. <laughs> I mean, Dragon Rage Channeler and Historic is wild. Like, yeah. it's it, it was one of like when I saw that and I saw that they were putting that into Historic, I was like, man, like freaking um, what's it called? Uh, Rakdos Midrange just got like a shot in the arm now. Jesus. But, uh, yeah, well, I, I think they they thought it's weird because like when Dwayne was printed, it was supposed to be this like better threshold that would be less abusable, but it turned out to be equally abusable. And they 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 seem to know that, but then they're like, what if we print these other Delirium cards that are again like so powerful? Like Darcy would have probably been worse with threshold because yeah. often on turn two, their Darcy's online. They wouldn't have had threshold, mm-hmm. and then they and it'd be harder for them to like sculpt their graveyard for in a various decks like Murktide decks or Croxa decks because they still would need to keep seven cards in the graveyard. Right. Yeah, it, it's insane. It's insane to me. And of course, these are mechanics that aren't really white mechanics. And I think that's like the thing I'm mad about about equipment is that there's this safety valve put on equipment and there's like no safety valves put on some of these other mechanics that we all know are broken. <laughs> like, <laughs> and they're not in white. And so I, I really would wish they would not put so many safety valves on on the equipment, especially in set in like formats that aren't going to have Stoneforge Mystic. I just don't think you have to worry too much about equipment. I think I think I, I think it's because uh, people who play tests and b- try to balance these cards are more or less really good mono white players, and they're like, oh, we can't make this too powerful, but it's okay that you know we we, we put more like effects like you know Darcy in there because they're they're they're, they're trivial or simple, you know. Well, <laughs> let's look at some cards that we knew were absolute. They just didn't. They didn't work. Uh, we, as you put in our show notes, Michael, we have enough goddamned angel producers with, and that's a uh, Starnheim unleashed. And so, um, what, what is your kind of take on this card? Like, it's just not a great bomb, right? Yeah. Well, it's just not a great bomb. And it like follows in this thing that people always complain about, which is 
they try to give White these flashy angel producing spells that are just usually not good enough to be played in anything but like your EDH angel token deck. And like, I think there's definitely a, a really fun deck to play there. Um, Snow Queen Hoth of Hoth, she's always talking about her angel deck and like, great. This is probably a cool card for her angel deck. And I'm sure it'd be very fun, but for trying to power up white, like don't give us more mythic cards that produce three, four, fours. Like it's just not enough. Every time they do it, I think they keep thinking it's going to be like another decree of justice or like those other, you know, every once in a while they've printed one that clearly is a bomb. The miracle one, that's name I always forget. Mm-hmm. Um, that one is like clearly a really good card. And in miracles, it was a win con. But like mm-hmm. more often than not, the cards that produce the four, four white angels with flying or flying vigilance just end up not being powerful enough. And that's because a four, four flyer is not what it used to be. Yeah. Like, Sarah Angel used to be the way to win a game. Now it's not. And we can't keep treating these spells like making 2-4-4 means you win the game. Isn't, well, yeah. wasn't Starheim Unleashed played heavily in uh, Limited and Standard when it came out? It was played in, it was played in Limited. It was played briefly in uh, Standard and then they, everybody found the take turn spell and then went, oh, we'll just do this. Oh, okay. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Alrun's Epiphany. Yeah. Thing. Alrun's yeah. Epiphany. Yeah. Um, that's, so, that's the thing. It should be a finisher for control deck, but like Epiphany is a way better finisher yeah, for control like, deck. Like, yeah. I'd rather just have two extra and it makes one smaller ones. creatures. Yeah. I'd rather have just two yeah. one ones than, than a bunch of four fours if I get like just another extra turn. And that shows you how not powerful the being a four four is. Mm-hmm. That like another untapped draw is way better than pumping those creatures up to be bigger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So also, I think they, the 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 four te- the foretell cost I think is also part of the problem here because it's an XX white foretell cost, not an mm-hmm. X. So like, and I understand why because they don't want you to foretell it and then make like. Four, like three on turn three right but like at the same time like if you're we're going to do foretell and we're going to push through this mechanic that is giving you that you pay two up front then you pay this other cost the next turn or later down the line then why can't that cost be like Undercosted, yeah, right? I think this goes like, back yeah. to what Michael was saying earlier about like you have these cards that are pushed in other colors, but they're not really being pushed enough in white. Like right. the, the the comparative analysis here is that hey, look, you know, the, there are a bunch of these safety valves that you put into Alrun's Epiphany because I think Alrun's Epiphany exiles itself, right? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. They love the turn spells to exile themselves, which is a very good yeah. thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. It, please, please continue to do that. Yeah. Um. And, and so, and so, so that was like a really important thing. And, and they, they made the foretell cost six mana, which is like one more than, than time warp. Right. But it creates two one, one birds and, and they, and they figured like, oh, well nothing can, can go wrong with two one, one birds. Right. For one extra mana for your time warp. And, and so they have all these extra precautions, but it's still very powerful. Uh, meanwhile, you know, they're, they're, they're putting a lid on Starnheim 
unleashed because they're comparing it to what you said, Michael, like the creative justice. When I yeah. think like if you if you play test this iterative process, I feel like playtest should have caught the fact that like, oh wait, even with this cost on outruns epiphany and all these safety valves in place, this is still a very powerful card, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and and meanwhile we have adequately we have ad we have adequately uh capped Starheim Unleashed. We are very comfortable with Starheim Unleashed. There are two ways they can go about doing this. You either make Outrun's Epiphany even worse, or you make Starheim Unleashed even better to to match to the same power levels, you know? Um, yeah. And like kind of like what Callahan was saying, like just make it X and a white for the foretell cost, not double X and white, right? And then then you can see a you can see a matchup now where someone's playing like you know a taking turns deck with outruns epiphany and then someone else is playing and their opponent's playing starham unleashed and they're just like oh fuck it's it's a bunch of angels yeah I, i'm not gonna have enough time i'm i'm screwed right whereas yeah 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 i think even x white white would have been fine because then next yeah. turn you could get one on turn three you could have one four four. It's just like three mana for four four is no longer a good rate. Like that's kind of like the base rate for competitive aggro thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. So making someone pay five mana for one four four over two turns does not. It's not exciting. You know you'd still. The fact that it costs seven mana to make two is crazy. When like in modern the going rate for two four fours is three mana. It is cascade into crashing footfalls. The the idea that I mean I understand that it's balanced for standard, but it's a mythic. It didn't really see play in standard, and now it's never going to really see play because it's just too well, watered and this down. This is this is one of the issues of where we get these like big mythics that end up not doing anything, right? Like, um, and that's just kind of a. But there's also there's also a weird thing where during the pandemic. I felt like they have been since there hasn't been paper play. They were really loosey goosey with like a lot of stuff where they felt really enabled to just like freely ban things and freely like maybe push things in standard that they wouldn't push normally. Mm-hmm. Um and like I could imagine some of these cards like at the end, like at the end, they're like, ah, why not just take that off of it? It doesn't matter. Um, like right before the release, because they're more concerned about the arena release than the paper release. And um, it, it's interesting how the pandemic has played a role into how cards have been designed and how cards have been banned and how that has been a more liberal process. Uh, mm-hmm. since, since that all of that has gone down. But, uh, one of the, one of the other things that we're going to be talking about today is removal spells. And we got some really good removal spells this year. Um, you put Skyclave Apparition down here, Michael, but I hate to be the bearer of bad news. That came out in 2020. Oh, um, wow. That was... Time passes yeah, in the weirdest Zendikar, way right now. Uh, <laughs> rising, well, that was Zendikar Rising. That was like near the end of 2020. So Yeah. yeah. Was it? Yeah. Um, Zendikar right. Rising was like so in the winter. Skyclave Apparition it. is not a 2021 card. You are not the first one. We were taking nominations. 
for this uh cedh awards there were a lot of people who put in like cards from like commander legends and stuff i was like nope that was 2020 time, guys time has just passed very strangely in the last year so i no mean it's knows. been like we're we're in we're almost to two years of this pandemic friends yeah it's wild um but so when we look at cheap board wipes uh we've got doom scar vanquish the hordes and of course out of time and out of time is a card that I think it's very unique in that it plays really well in um, like Aminatu is it was like exactly the card Aminatu wanted because it does exactly the type of thing that that deck wants to be doing. Mm-hmm. Right. It, yeah. It controls the board in a way that Aminatu is able to abuse in a very effective way. And it's just, it's, it's very, that was such a good shot in the arm for that, that deck. I also like for these temporary removal effects doing phasing instead of exile. Cause yes. it doesn't re-trigger the ETBs. And I think that's a really good way to power up like the O-ring effects that they love giving white. And I, so I think there's two ways you can power this up, right? You don't give them back what they originally had. So the ones that make tokens like Skyclave Apparition or that dinosaur card that's name I always forget, um, that exiles a creature and then they get a creature back, a token. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, know what you're talking about. I don't know that name. Could you imagine out of time with Zer? <laughs> oh yeah, right. Like, yeah, it's like, but, oh yeah, but, you know, I'm just gonna grab my Necropotence and then next turn I'm just going to like shut down the rest of the aggro opposition on this table. And when I'm ready, I'll just bounce it back to my hand and swing with Zer again and then replay it. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, I think that mass phasing is a really good idea for design space let's i like let's that get they're bringing the phasing mass. back it's not as confusing it's actually kind of intuitive it's just that you have to trust your intuition it's anything they, on it stays on it well and <laughs> that's that's, what, <laughs> that's the other thing is i think since they've put it into arena in the way arena like i and this is one of the things i think is really helpful um again going off topic one of the things as a judge that i really like about arena is i think arena teaches you how to play magic really well because it shows you the stack and it shows you how the stack interacts how all of that works how things go on to the stack um and it also shows how phasing works in a very mm-hmm. good way of mm-hmm. this card mm-hmm. is here but it's not here and yep. it, it's it's it, this is one of the things that i love about arena that i don't think mtgo was able to do in a very like intuitive way that i think arena makes like the stack and these types of effects very easy to understand mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i uh all in all, I think out of time was not only a good board wipe, but it's just a really good design in general. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And and what I like is that I think they, they now are realizing that three to four mana wipes is kind of where you need to be. Like they were scared of four mana board wipes for a really long time. The problem is that in most formats, it needs to be four mana. Like in modern, you can't play five mana for your board wipe. Like you'll, you'll be dead. Four is usually too much. Mm-hmm. So figuring out how to make mass removal mm-hmm. at the three slot is very good design space to be looking for. Um, like Doomscar, I think, is a really well-designed card, and it's not 
broken, right? It's not like ruining formats or anything because they can now wrath on turn three. But for formats where you need to wrath on turn three, you have that tool now. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I think that that's, that, that's really good design. So I, I would like them to keep designing these cheap wipes that have drawbacks that aren't really drawbacks. Yeah. Like Doomscar having to pay the mana on turn two, not that bad. Vanguisher Hordes, like in the games you want to play that, there's no drawback. Mm-hmm. Um, same with Out of Time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's not a, a lot more to say about that, right? Like it's just very, very good design space. I like what they're doing. When we look at removal on creatures, uh, there was Hopeful Initiate, Dawnbringer Cleric, Cathar Commando, and the big one, Solitude, that's been uh, running laps around people in uh, in Modern. Um, so talk a little bit about these cards. We've got two of them that are good or great, uh, or excuse me, yeah, two of them are good, two of them are bad. And so kind yeah. of discuss here like what we've got that's going on. So I think the big thing that makes removal on creatures really powerful is flash. flash. It's yeah. just flash. And, and, and Cathar Commando and Solitude are so good because they have flash. Mm-hmm. And it's two ways to do it, right? Like Cathar Commando is the safe way where it has to sack itself to do the removal thing. So you're not really getting the two for one, but you still have a modal spell that is creature or removal you have the ability to put the creature out and have it do the aggro thing until you need the removal mode. It's like th- overall that makes it really good. Solitude is problematic because it is a two for one. And now because ephemerate exists in modern, yeah. it is often like a, a one mana three, four, you know, it's, maybe it's it having costume a cards, having a, force of plowshares that you can also just land a oh, it's so dumb. like three four for one <laughs> mana is really good right, playing eight whack i've done the thing where you know turn one ragavan they play a, a, a land turn two goblin guide swing the ragavan goblin guide and i see pitch solitude ephemerate solitude like yep Remove both my creatures right away. Now they have a three-two life flank, and I'm so behind. And, and even there's been times where I've sung with three creatures, like it's like goblin guide, goblin guide, and now they also block the goblin guide. Yeah. So it's like they've killed three creatures, they've gained three life. My board is empty, and they're ready to do their control thing. Yeah, it's yeah. really crazy because it's like, especially if they if they pop out the ephemerate, what are you going to do on your turn? Play another creature. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Oh, it's so it's it's so annoying because you just know that you can now not play another creature or they're gonna be able to snatch it. Um and that's not solitude's problem. I, I think part of it is maybe evoking, you know, the, the free creatures with ETB effects is a little abusable, but it's really ephemerate's problem, right? Like mm-hmm. the thing that really pushes it too far is the existence of ephemerate. The thing and- is though, this is this is my my take though. When we look at modern, it forces you to play ephemerate. And there are a lot of instances in modern where ephemerate is just not good. Um, True. And and so, like, it, I think there is a level of that where and I think I've seen this a lot in the like solitude's been really good for blue white control to kind of come back as a really good archetype again, because mm-hmm. now it has can run eight path to exiles effectively. And I think 
that also it can it's also a deck that feels very comfortable to pay four mana for or what is it five mana feels very comfortable to pay five mana for a three four that also removes a creature so it's like i feel like it's also not problematic because i i feel like what it does is it makes those decks that I think are good for the format um, better and the decks that are trying to abuse it like we've seen like everybody was talking about like grief ephemerate was going to be like grief ephemerate's not that good yeah it's like well turns out that you have to mulligan to a weird hand and then you also don't have cards in your hand Uh, so 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 yeah so I think keep making creatures that act as removal that have flash maybe be more careful about how powerful the etb effect is and if that is going to be abusable but like i like i was originally against solitude and heliod because i we don't play that many white cards surprisingly mm-hmm. but it is just so much better than path to exile i it's have just so much better. discovered that like I've played it a few times in Arden Crom and it comes in and out depending on what day it is. Um, but like even in that, like as a five mana removal spell, it still feels pretty good. And like, I think even in three color decks, I think we've really undersold like in these base white decks that are starting to pop up. Like solitude is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, Arden based decks are very white centric. So I think that solitude and those types of decks are yeah. absolutely worth playing. The, yeah. the, the cards that I think are bad on this axis, Dawnbringer cleric and hopeful initiate have this problem of they don't have flash. So it takes your whole turn to use it. And then the effect is not necessarily good enough. Like, Dawnbringer Cleric would be so much better if it blew up an artifact. Mm-hmm. Blowing up an enchantment doesn't, like, the, the mana value I'm willing to pay for something that can blow up an enchantment is so low. <laughs> if, right, if it's not a full disenchantment effect, I'm probably not going to play it. The Exile effect is nice, but exiling one card is, like, not usually enough to stop the whole Breach deck thing. In most formats, just one card being exiled is not sufficient. And the Gain Life mode is, like, almost non-existent the thing so, that's wild to me is that hopeful initiate came literally the set after cathar commando and yeah. it's at rare and it's worse than that card yeah you know i like the idea of hopeful initiate because in a deck like heliod you can put counters on it and but like I, it's so many hoops and that's the other thing like we need to stop it with the cards that require you to jump through so many hoops. <laughs> and and this is one where I think I like this, the idea of training and getting the disenchants off the training. It's a cool card, but it's just, it's a little too many hoops for most formats. I, I could see it working in standard and I, I hope it is, but it, it's not going to really work in CH, maybe Tigum or whatever the deck with the, I think it's just counters. too many turn cycles for this to to, yeah. to go off. And I think, yeah. once you remove like the Dawn two Bringer counters, was uh, definitely a card designed for limited. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it was good in limited. Um, as somebody who I, I played a lot of AFR limited, <laughs> um, I thought that was actually probably one of my favorite limited environments I played in. Like, a really, very you didn't long just play Rakdos Treasure. 
No, I played <laughs> a lot of like blue and green stuff and thought it oh. was just an absolute blast. Um, you, you have to remember that I don't always play magic to win. Sometimes I play just <laughs> to enjoy doing a thing. So, um, <laughs> Reckless Treasure was also fun though. To yes, play. it was. I, I liked that deck. Um, yeah. I think I drafted it once, but I lost with it because I drafted it weirdly. Um, but when we look at the efficient removal stuff, um, we've got here as our good cards, portable hole, prismatic ending, fateful absence. The bad card is break ties in the ugly card is divine gambit. And I know everybody here has a lot of opinions about divine gambit that we've all gone over at some point. But before we get to that, I do want to say, I think prismatic ending is an absurd magic card. It's very good. <laughs> it is. I play it, I play it in my AWAC deck now. Cause like my AWAC build plays lures mm-hmm. and it was so easy to just like play some blood crypts so that I could also Hit three on prismatic ending. I don't think it's I, the worst in EDH. Like, so I think more decks should try playing it. I, I agree like, with that. It's really good in high color decks. It's super flexible removal. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and one mana to remove a one mana permanent is a really good rate already. Right. Like, and I think people underplay that. Um, you know, it's what I wanted Isolate to be. That that awful card that got printed. I don't know. That wasn't probably this year. That was probably two years ago. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and I think there are people who think Prismatic Ending is, is too good. And I agree that it does disrupt Modern quite a bit because, I think, you know, your Ether Vial is useless <laughs> against a Prismatic Ending deck. But uh, but it's also like your Chalice of Void doesn't ruin my my 8 whack deck anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think Prismatic Ending was actually designed for Modern, right? It was specifically yeah, it was meant for certainly modern. Certainly designed for modern. Yeah, yeah. And and it was a really good uh design, I think. I think this is this is part of like so in in previous podcasts that I've talked about that sprinkled across other channels and stuff, uh and maybe even this one, I, I mentioned about the fact that one of the problems with white is it's 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 accessibility in other colors. Most of the times when people get into commander, uh, their first jump into commander isn't with a monocolored deck, but with a multicolored deck. And so, you know, part of like Morrow's discussion about how to make white better was to make white more accessible into multicolored uh, designs. And so you had cards like Happily Ever After and Kenrith the Return King. Obviously, Happily Ever After got like, you know, hated on by the whole community for being a good white card because it's not really a white card. It's a card that requires other colors for you to play in order for it to not even a good card. Yes. (laughs) So, 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 but, but then there's Kenrith. And then when people looked at that, they're like, well, that's not really a white card either. Right. Mm-hmm. But you look at a card like Prismatic Ending, and I think it, it's starting to put all the pieces together as to what, like, th- what their 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 multi year long plan of making white better uh, is becoming. It's because, like, if you look at like the design of a lot of white cards, uh, like quote unquote good ones, uh, you see cards like Rule of Law, Linvala, Grand Abolisher, uh, and and each of these cards what the the problem with them like even a card like stony silence like the problem with them is that for a lot of people who play magic they don't want to actually play these cards or if they do want to play a card like grand abolisher which is nice they have to invest in two white pips for it to like right. actually work right like you take a look at an example of an old design card like angel jubilation versus its contemporary counterpart yasharn right like one is a multicolored card one is a monocolored card lo and behold the multicolored card gets played more than the monocolored card because 
because the mono color card demands that you have at least three white pips to cast. Yeah, it's impossible to cast even in mono white decks. Yeah, and so and so for <laughs> multicolored decks, unless if you're like really heavy into running like thirty some planes in your deck, right? Yeah, like someone that we know here. <laughs> but like, yeah, but yeah, like like Yasharn is is easier to cast, and it's a multicolored card. It breaks your people's perceptions at least for like designers perceptions of what people are willing to play and what they are and for whatever reason white just demands a lot in terms of devotion it makes a card like nykthos more prominent in mono white decks and like you know gods like heliod more prominent because it's, for whatever reason it's easier to get white devotion in white than it is in others but it makes but because of that that singular fact it means that white is more demanding if you want to incorporate it into a multicolored design but mm-hmm. yeah. i think what we're seeing in the trajectory of this year we're seeing more and more like uh decks like four color decks running white in them right uh i think like evolution which is a cdh deck is 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 has white based in it as well right and we've seen like other cdh decks just run more and more white i think like Part of it is just the prominence of rule of law itself mm-hmm. and people now figuring out how to play with rule of law and incorporate rule of law play styles with other colors in their deck. Uh, and so, whereas in the past, like rule of law was like a huge, like hard stop against multicolor decks because it was like, Oh, well, a lot of my multicolor strategy involves me slinging multiple spells together to make it work. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to run white because white doesn't want to do that. But now people are figuring out like, Oh, I can play white and all the other colors can play to white's play style now. Uh, mm-hmm. And so prismatic ending is a card that further encourages that it's like here's a white card that rewards you for playing other colors now you know and kenrith was also doing that and so uh, we'll we'll probably see more in fact i think there's like a kamigawa neon dynasty card that uh is a white legend that has flash and has a five color effect uh attached to it as well uh yeah so yeah i I think the important part too is that they always talk about how white can't get too much card advantage because it has too good of removal, but the removal it's been getting had been quite expensive and bad. Mm-hmm. Portable hole, prismatic ending, able absence, they are aggressively costed in a way in which now I understand why you don't want to give us tr- card draw that right. easily because these cards are actually good. Mm-hmm. The, they're, they're prismatic ending like- is like prismatic ending I, I need to stress people and this is something I, I think people kind of laughed at me when I was like playing prismatic ending in like some four color decks and I was like I don't think you understand that this card scales to how many colors you play like it gets yeah. better and they're like well you have to play five mana for a removal spell and it's like well if I want to remove something with five CMC but what if I just need to remove your you know one your graph diggers cage or mm-hmm. this thing yep. and it's one mana and it's very accessible and i think people underestimate that they have treasure all the time now yeah so like your red white deck often can do it for five that, that's that's what i was saying about bring delight before mm-hmm. even um 
what was it before even profane tutor was printed because I was like, listen, we're all abusing the hell out of Dockside right now. Right. Like we talk about how you can't play blood moon because of the fact that there is uh Dockside and it fixes your mana and you get all this mana off of it. And I'm like, why do Nas decks that are in like blue green, not play this card. And they're like, well, we are never going to be able to make the five and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, um, you almost always can. And even like in 60 card formats, I mean, I play prismatic ending in eight whack and eight whack plays Ragavan. I often can cast it for four. If I want yeah. my bit mana base makes red, white, black. And if I have one treasure, there's four, two treasures. I'm at five. Like it's so easy to get it to five and not be committed to being a five color deck. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's why it's almost, it's a little too powerful, but I think being at sorcery speed, like if it had been an instant, this card would have to be banned. Yeah. <laughs> right? the sorcery, yeah. I think makes this a, a, a very good card and it's just a frustrating card because it's so good. So but if you're going to, if you're going to dock white on drawing cards, the cards that you don't want them to draw too many of better be frustrating. Like <laughs> so, solitude. So, like let's, solitude. Let's, yeah. let's look here before we move over to the stacks effects that were good this year. Divine Gambit is probably one of the worst designed cards I think I've ever seen ever. The thing I don't understand about it is that they did these like tempting worm style effects before. And I feel like they know that these effects are often bad. Mm-hmm. And even when you can torpor orb, it's like building people try to build whole decks around like torpor orb and these ETBs that grant your opponent things. And they're still not great decks. Here you've made an effect that says, I will remove your thing. You're going to get a free thing. And there's no way for me to really avoid this. Like, like it's such it, a it, bad card. It's, uh, it, I, I understand the limited thing with Fortel. There, like people's hands will be emptier faster. But still, it, it, it's not a good card. It's so sad. It, it. I think it was an experiment that they were trying out because uh, White has in the past a lot of White removal has been like, oh, you know, like like even look at Solitude, right? It's still a source of plowshares at the end of the day. Your opponent's still getting something out of it, and they wanted to know what the ceiling was for that. Like, would people play with this card if your opponent got to put something down for free? And, you know... The, the resounding answer was no. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, like, if this was an instant... I don't know. Maybe it might be different, but like, maybe I think about it. Yeah. Maybe I think about it, but like, you know, at sorcery speed, this the, the, for two white pips, for two white again, pips also. Yeah. Like, there's, pips. So, there's a lot of things going wrong with this card and the, the, the actual play pattern for how you want to play it. Kind of like what Michael says that you want to play it. If your opponent is mostly reliant on non, on non-permanent effects, like they're, they're, they're playing like an instance and sorcery deck and you remove something that was like a key piece to, to making their instant sorcery engine work, maybe their card draw engine or something like that. And you would feel good because they don't play anything afterwards because because they did just don't have anything in their hand or they just don't have a hand period, right? Like you're playing like some black white discard deck, but in both mm-hmm. of those cases, or you, or you just play containment priest, but in all these cases, right? The card isn't good by itself. Like you have to yeah. be playing everything else to make it work. And, and that, and for a lot of players, I think when this card came out, they just don't want to put in that effort when you have better options already, you know? Yeah. 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 The, the one card in this set that I think is a bad card, but not necessarily a bad direction is break ties. So I, I think, and, and this is why I also said 
Dawnbringer Cleric is bad, but not ugly. The idea of giving white more modal spells, I think, is great. I think what they've learned, for example, for blue is that blue decks love modal spells. Cryptic Command, Archmage's Charm, like these are really cool Mm -hmm. modal spells. What they need to find is what the combination of modes a white deck wants is. Mm -hmm. And problematically is that when the combination is good, often it costs too much. And when it costs at an aggressive cost, the combination is bad. So like we want to disenchant. We want Graveyard Exile. We want something to do with our creatures. But like we don't want to pay three for a disenchant ever. We don't want to pay three to exile a single card. And like it's cool that you can put a counter on things with the reinforce, but like that's not really that much. So if the card like, just cost too much. If it was like discard this card, put a plus one plus one counter, and do like one of the if it was like break ties was choose multiple and then the reinforce was you discard it put a plus one plus one counter on a target creature and you do one of the effects then that would have been like good but the the way it is right now is is just like it's It's it's, not efficient enough for any of those things this this is a draft card though like this is absolutely for that draft environment so, so, so i have a so i have a I guess like an interesting view about cards that have multiple modalities, right? Like, cause break ties is essentially four different cards wrapped up into one. And what's interesting is that like, uh, part of the thing that we were talking about is like, you know, the bouncing card draw in white, because white gets these really insane removal spells. Uh, but also like think about it with like modal cards, like the more a card is able to do things, the, the better your card velocity becomes. And what I mean by that is that like, if you need a card to, to get you out of a, out of a rut, or if you need a card to like push more, to put more pressure on your opponent, one of the things that most players will try to do is that they just need more card draw to find what they need to to do that but if a bunch of your cards in your deck literally can do multiple jobs at once right it means that like each time you draw a card your card draw is just going to be qualitatively better than whatever your opponent is running right if your opponent's cards only do one thing but your cards can do three things right and they're all relevant things that 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 matter to you then your card draw is just inherently going to be better than your opponent so when you have a card draw engine like an esper sentinel or whatever happening then then you're like you will be at a multiplying advantage against your right. opponent right but, but this is why it's crazy that they give it to blue right they yeah. give blue archmage charm and cryptic command because they do have all these way to draw cards and then they draw cards that are just so many different solutions whereas white doesn't get card draw and then when it gets modal spells it gets modes that aren't quite good enough for what it needs yeah and and i think that like so far like even cards like break ties and like uh dongbringer cleric they're just like either one like mana cost too short or one modality too short or just being perfect right and yeah and when and 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 i think they're 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 literally uh skirting the line here because they don't because they know that they can do it but they want to see like what this base level is and if people still aren't picking up these cards and playing it that's when wizards will like finally push and be like all right we're going to do that i I mean, it's the same thing that they did with green where they, they 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 turned the lever just ever so slightly and then they just jammed the knob all the way to the other end you know yeah um 
So I think like next year we'll definitely see more cards that like push that boundary mm-hmm. beyond what mm-hmm. Rig Ties and Dawnbringer Cleric is. That's sort of like my prediction for 2022. And uh, honestly, like it, while while blue does have archmage's charm i mean break ties is a common right like yeah these these are things like and the other important thing to to note is that like i don't think blue really has anything close to what like dawnbringer cleric is as a creature like blue like oftentimes blue gets all these modality spells because it's like well it's a it's an instant of sorcery you only get this effect for like this turn right and then you gotta draw more cards to to compensate with your opponent's permanence but if like white had you know say like a triggered ability or like at the beginning of your like upkeep like choose one of these three things i think green got an enchantment recently that did that that was also really crazy um yeah i know that she even like tweeted about it but it was it seemed really good because one of them was like an anthem effect or one of them was like your land task for like an extra green or something like that uh but yeah like those types of permanence with multiple modal effects like which and like just imagine it on something with flash oh man that'd be so good yeah, yeah. i know that they don't want to make it too good but they i mean if we don't want to talk about modal cards maybe we go to the next section the stacks yeah the section. next the next section here we're looking at is the stacks effects and we're looking specifically here at taxing effects so we've got strict proctor raiding uh, elite spellbinder and curse of silence so when we're looking at these do we really like curse of silence well i'll talk for a second in a second about why i like curse of silence um but riding is a, i think the best white modal spell we've gotten in a while and i think but people forget that it's a modal spell Mm-hmm. Right, the front side is that tax effect on on big spells, which is really a tax effect on wraths. Right, that's kind of what it is. But the backside does so much work against so many strategies, mm-hmm. protecting your creature from from damage, protecting you from things targeting you, like and and your creatures. Like it does a lot of work, and that's a nice modal spell. Right, it's a thing where early in the game you stop the wrath. Late in the game, you stop like their combo win. Like it stops walking ballista stuff. It 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 does a whole lot of things, and that's I think the direction that is really good for modal things is modal creatures. Um, and I and it's like when you compare it to Haldar, like which of the modal legendary creatures in white was better? Mm-hmm. Clearly, Rydane. Like Rydane is is really really good. So I really like that as a stacks card. It's a it's a you know, generic stacks card on the front. It's a, oh, my opponent is playing um, Malcolm, a Malcolm combo deck. Like, I'll play the backside. It, it just does so many things. I mean, and Heliod Mirrors, like, go for the backside all the way to shut off the combo. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a that's a good modal card, in my opinion. And I, I would love us to push those kinds of modal cards. If you want to talk about Curse of Silence, though, this is design space that I really like. And the design space that I like is that it's a tax spell. It's a little bit of a, uh, you know, in EDH, it's not going to feel as good because you right, pick right. one spell. It's good in, in 60 card decks because game two, you know what they're playing. You can stop the one spell that's really scary. But the good thing about it that I love is that, you know, it trades for a card when they eventually break through the tax. And I think that that's something that tax effects have problems with in, in design space right now. Once people have enough mana to pay the tax, and they don't do that much, you're just stuck there with your 2-1 first strike or your, you know, 
your your artifact that's basically null rotted. Um, late in the game, tax effects kind of aren't that good, but making a card that says, oh, when they pay the tax, it's going to trade for another card. That's a good way to try to get over this problem. Right. So I would like them to print more in that space. I wish, you know, I wish it did a little bit more, but I, I do think Curse of Silence is a is a surprisingly good card. It's well designed. Maybe it doesn't fit perfectly. Um, yeah, I don't really with what's going on in any given format, but it's I think it's a good design space. I don't really play uh, standard a lot, but wouldn't this be a pretty good card against Outrun's Epiphany? I, I don't know if people were playing. They might have played it in standard. There yeah. is a there is a white. There are white aggro decks. Um, let's see. Because this seems like pretty good if you know what your opponent's like, especially in one v one when you know what your opponent does and your opponent already has foretold or suspended a card. Like I imagine even like a burn matchup, like your opponent suspends Rift Bolt and then you just curse of silence them, naming Rift Bolt, and you're just like, right? Yeah. There's a there's a lot of uses for this card, which is why. I think it is good design space. Obviously, a lot of people are playing like best of one now, so that's not as good. Mm-hmm. But but I, I think this is design space we should go to. I also like the idea of bringing the meddling mage effect into just white again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that that's I think good design space that they kind of skirt away from. Maybe elite spellbinder is just the better version of this effect, right? It's the idea of taxing a specific card. I, I, I like that idea of taxing a specific card. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good way to make the tax higher. It doesn't have to be just one now. Now you can make it two. You can make it more. Yeah. Um, I think at least Spellbinder and, it, and Curse of Silence complement each other in this regard because I just mentioned like foretelling and suspending as a way to get around hand disruption. So like... Uh, and so at least Spellbinder can only really hit cards in your opponent's hands, but we've seen now that there's like technology for your opponents to just put a card <laughs> away from the top of their library or in their graveyard or in exile that they can then like have access to casting still. Right. Yeah. So I, I think the, I think these effects are, are good. And I, I'm mostly just happy that taxes are more aggressive that like you have to pay more. Mm-hmm. I think that people get scared because they stack of like these, yeah, we can only make taxes one. They have to be Thorn of Amethyst. They have to be Thalia effects. Um, we can make them two. <laughs> right. We can probably make them three in some cases. And I, I like that they're pushing into that. Yeah, Strict Proctor is is one of those things where it's like the fixed Ristic effects. Like I, I like giving my opponent the option to be able to pay to get their thing not stacked out. Um when it's aggressively costed. So like a two mana card, the taxes for two is nice because people don't really have two mana to pay on turn two or turn three. I think mm-hmm. that's a well-designed card. Um, it's even still a little too weak. Like I don't play it in many decks and, you know, cause I don't want to pay the two, but I think that shows how aggressively costed it is. Right. <laughs> you know, two is a lot. And I think that's good. The next card we're looking at here is a, uh, card that hates on the graveyard which is sanctifier and vec and this is a card that i actually think is a lot better than people give it credit for and it appears you both think so as well as you have this listed as a good card yeah i would say i, I originally didn't like it and i was wrong about that oh, well, it's a much better <laughs> card than i thought i liked i liked both sanctifier and solitude and i think i got to play both of them against you michael yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah uh i i guess i can 
speak for the merits of, of Sanctifier. I think that one of the things that people like, like people look at this was released alongside Dothy Voidwalker and Dothy Voidwalker pretty much stole, stole the, stole all the thunder from Sanctifier on Uh, and, but when you look at Sanctifier on I think like what it brings into attention isn't just the fact that it has a specific graveyard hate on black and red cards, but it also just has protection from black and red. And I, I think that when you play against Sanctifier on and you're playing like a deck that runs black or red in it, you begin to immediately realize the problems that Sanctifier on prevent presents against you uh, i don't think enough people realize that in the last two years black and red have become more central to a lot of strategies in cedh mm-hmm. so having protection from both of those as well as hating on those cards going into the graveyard is very strong and it's a replacement effect so it goes on top of it would be before dothy's replacement effect mm-hmm. yeah like yeah, which is I've, super fun <laughs> yeah go go ahead i i thought about even cutting rest in peace from my deck for sanctifier mm-hmm. because you know rest it's in peace is to tutor, right like it's easier to tutor and to be honest i know everyone kept saying it doesn't stop breach you know the actual breach combos they'll have enough cards it makes it when you combine it with the other cards that, you're, that are in your deck very, very hard to breach. Mm-hmm, like yeah. very, very hard. And I think that's the important part is that I don't care that it doesn't lock them out of their breach because it with any other of my effects in play locks them out of their breach. It can buy you some number of turns before your opponent is able to actually get over it and in that amount of time you could be setting up for something else and and what's great is that it doesn't if you're playing like a mono white deck or a deck that just doesn't run red or black like two lane or whatever right like it it doesn't stop you doing what you're doing uh unlike rest in peace Mm -hmm. does right and and that's something like to keep in mind and both what michael and, and, and callahan are saying is like Think about all the decks that are running red and black. Like there is no short supply of Dockside Extortionist and Through the Breach type of style decks. And at the same time, uh, like like even with Dothy Voidwalker, like this card would be a godsend if you played it with with someone who has a Dothy Voidwalker out. Because if someone ends up like just incidentally milling their Adnos or they have an Adnos that gets fizzled, you want this card out while there's a Dothy Voidwalker because you mm-hmm. want your opponents to be like, put this card under Sanctify Onvec, please, dear Lord, put it under Sanctify Onvec. Right? Yeah. And, and the and the person who's running Dothy Voidwalker cannot play any of their like black or red removal spells against it to stop you, you know? Yeah, like, do I wish Dothy Voidwalker was a white card? Sure. Yeah. But like Dothy Voidwalker is too good. It's it's not broken, but it's like that is a very, very pushed card. It's also a very black effect. Yes. I hate to break yeah. it to you. It guys. is a very like, black yeah. effect. Like like, it, it, like people kept being like, Why is it this white? And I'm like, Because it's not a white effect, guys. Yes. Uh, the, like, yeah. It's it's a white effect if it didn't let you cast the card that you exiled. Correct. Yeah. If it yeah. if it was if it just stopped at just exiling cards, yeah, sure. That 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 could be white. But the whole idea of black is that you it, it, it's thievery. It, it could easily have been a demure card too right yeah but like but but people have to get into their mindset that like white is all about prevention and like stopping things it's never about theft yeah i also just like that they're making better main deck hate cards Mm -hmm. like you could realistically in modern right now play sanctifier in the main deck of a lot of decks 
because you play a lot of lure stacks and this stops the lure stacks <laughs> and it stops the main removal and, and like protection from black and red is really good. Another thing I'm happy to see back come back is like protection. It, it, it's good. It plays towards like aggro strategies getting more interesting because you have more blocking power like and more attacking power. I, I kind of like that they brought back shadow for the Dothi because like I like these kinds of combat oriented abilities that make combat more complex mm-hmm. and more at the center of what's going on. It blocks so. and kills Najila. <laughs> and it blocks and kills Najila. Yeah. It blocks and kills uh, Tinda also. It does. Yeah. yeah. Like like people like like even cards that aren't mono red or mono black, you have to like keep in mind like there's so many cards that just incidentally have a black pip in them in yep. their cost. <laughs> and you're just like, oh wow, this this actually will like if you gave it flying, it will block Chrom for the rest of its life. The yeah. other the, the other thing that I think is important here is there is something that I think we miss in CEDH is the fact that I don't think we don't play um, as many spells in like uh, I'm trying to think of the right like the we need more density of hate pieces index mm-hmm. is, is kind of where I'm trying to get to is because so, so you look at like modern, right? Um, modern is going to play if you're painting on it, if you're playing a stack stack, you're going to have four of this effect, two of this effect, three of this effect, blah, 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 blah. Right. And a lot of CEDH decks think, oh, well, I just throw one card in and this is enough, right? Oh, yeah, Whereas no. you need to have a density of these effects. Yep. Mm-hmm. And like, this is one of the things that I've been saying for a while is, and what I've been experimenting with a lot is taking the density of effects that are used in other formats and scaling that to CEDH and it translates really well and I I think that and I, and I think this is in part because of the greediness that the format has been in, giving like encouraged recently um, that thankfully Winota has pushed back on um, <laughs> mm-hmm. but like it's it's one of those things where I, I think people need to realize that sanctify like you can't just run rest in peace you need to run rest in peace and if you want to hate on graveyards right um and you need to have a density of these effects that is one thing white is pretty good at doing right now is just having a like a overabundance on a lot of these cards with redundant effects but that's really good because in its lack of card draw it you just you just have a higher probability of just hitting these cards. Yeah. And if your opponent just happens to play the removal spell, they're, they're, they're kind of playing the lottery here. It's like, Oh, I should get rid of this rule of law, but it would be a waste of my removal spell. If I got rid of their rule of law instead of their stony silence or something like that. And, and then realize that they just had an idol on rhetoric or archon of America just sitting in their hand the whole entire time. Right. And if I got rid of their stony silence, well, maybe they just had a null rod there the whole entire time. You know, right. and and actually, I think this is part of why I like that solitude got printed. So when people would be like, "Oh, there's all this good white removal, can't give white card draw," like I would look at 
my white decks and say, well, actually, <laughs> there's not that many good removal spells when you have to play one of each. Yes, yep. in a deck that can play four swords or four path, I get that. When I can play one swords and one path, now the rest of my removal is just lower quality. Yeah. Solitude lets you up the number of cheap, efficient removal spells you have. It's tutorable, too. It's tutorable. I, I, I cut path for Solitude, but the point is that if you want to play a large number of efficient creature removal spells now, you actually can mm-hmm. um, because you're just gaining them every every set. And I think that's good. I think that, you know, when there are five solid, cheap, white, efficient removal spells, I, no one will need to complain that much about drawing cards because they can actually just play a bunch of good, efficient cards. Yeah, it, it, it's very it's very prominent, especially like going back to like the whole solitude thing like i i I run it in eight and a half tails since it came out and i've been enjoying playing it uh in that deck and doing the whole blinking shenanigans it's also really good with sort of hearth and home because then you just get all the value sort of hearth and home by the way hearth of home is an absurd magic card (laughs) i love that card so much uh i've been talking i've been hyping this card ever since it got previewed it's like this is everything that i want in a white deck right and even more like people like gilded drake my stuff is like cool i'll just take my stuff back thanks for the three three drake by the way right and even with a gilded drake if you play in a deck with gilded drake it's so good right but it, because it, you can blink it when it's on their battlefield yeah like, it's so good <laughs> yeah and and so and so because it's whatever you own uh for for those mm-hmm. of you who's who are reading the fine print on sort of hearth and home and like the the the, the ramping helps uh especially if you're in like a big stack stack or something like that and you just want to curve off into your larger stacks pieces like Elish Norn or whatever but like the, the the whole idea of that card and even with solitude it once again it's 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 a it's a tribute to like etb and creature quality like it's very it's it's very well positioned because of all the cards that have been designed prior to it um but that's that, that, that that's my little tidbit about solitude and uh etbs in general and just a tangent on sort of hearth and home in white decks yeah since we brought up sort of hearth and home maybe we should talk about ramp next before we get into the the real star of the show which is the new card advantage cards <laughs> yeah but yeah so in, 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 in in general, the ramp is bad. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to, to, to sum it up, it is bad. We've got Loyal Warhounds and Stoic Farmer. Both of them are bleh. Yeah. Uh, I like Loyal Warhounds, if only because of the body, but not really because of the effect. Uh, like a 3-1 Vigilance for two mana is pretty good. And it has some upside, right? That's also good uh, or fine. It's redundancy if yeah. you already liked playing or um the, the white, what is the... Knight of the White Orchid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so and so it has that type of density. Like if you're like I, I built some EDH decks not for CDH play, but like just for like more high powered play and like getting getting you know, this type of effect is pretty nice. And if because you can blink it, it's also nice. And you can just play like white weenies with like taxing effects and like high powered EDH is also pretty cool. Uh, mm-hmm. But like all in all, like if you're looking at something like CDH, right? You just like, especially when you have acts, if you're not trying to play mono white and you're just trying to play like the best that there is, they're just way better options, right? Yeah, exactly. It, it's not as good as all the other effects Mm -hmm. and like i will continue to just play mana rocks instead of cards like this Mm -hmm. 
if it was a little more, I don't know the things. I don't know that you can make it more aggressive, right? Like mm-hmm. this is probably a two mana effect. Always, all they can do is put it on more interesting bodies, and like a three one vigilance is already pretty interesting. Maybe I would play it if it was like three one lifelink. It, it gets Maybe better would, if they had other planes other than yeah because than like basic planes yeah like like this is a major difference between loyal warhound and knight of the white orchid loyal warhound only finds basic planes but like knight of the white orchid can find any planes right and 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 knight though is two white pips which gives us back to that it brings yeah. us back to that problem of like you have to really be all in on the white sources mm-hmm. um this one at least isn't too white pips but like it's only going to give you a basic plane so again you're all in on like the I only play white sources mm-hmm. yeah. so it doesn't really relieve that tension also knight puts it into play untapped which is a very nice thing because it actually says turn two I can play it and now have an untapped land to do something yeah, this one I mean, puts it into play tapped it, it's you know strictly worse in that sense that, that whole ETV is strictly worse yeah yeah is is they, they, they definitely nerfed this for 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 the cost of losing one white pipped and switching it to one generic you, you get a lot of drawbacks suddenly uh yeah night of the white orchid uh like and for those of you listening to this and looking at loyal warhound i, I guess like if you had to choose between warhound versus night of the white orchid like there's first of all there's no reason for you to play this uh if you're if you're splashing in other colors because if you're like white green there are way better green cards that can do this for you right mm-hmm. um if you're but if you're like mono white then you should just go for night of the white orchid if you have to like pick one or the other right yeah uh and Honestly, neither white orchid is it, it, it once again has a stone forge issue, but it hasn't really been exploited. We haven't really seen like land types uh with specific like type. Like for example, we don't really have a card that has that's a non-basic land that has subtype swamp in it, right? Because if it did, if it was a really powerful like non-basic land that had subtype swamp, think of all the like the swamp tutors that could like just grab it, right? And if you had, and one, when they did that, they made the mistake, right? Because yeah. like Mystic Sanctuary is yes. that a non-basic with the the basic land type, and it was really hard to balance those power wise. Yeah, and, and and Mystic Sanctuary. What's interesting about Mystic Sanctuary is that the only way to really abuse it in a blue deck is with fetch lands. There aren't really blue cards that tutor for an island, right? Yep. And so white, honestly, I feel like they, they they could try pushing this for white because that would be an amazing type of... It, it would validate a lot of like these tutor for planes cards and only planes yep. cards because you often look at these cards and you're like, why would I only want planes? But if you actually had good non-basic planes, like all these cards suddenly like make more sense of why you would exclusively tutor for planes you know yeah it's like you could get misfilled planes but putting a card on the bottom of your library isn't that good when you lack other tutors or a lot of card draw and shuffle effects Mm -hmm. so like it's just not that much of a payoff or like a or like a planes card with some like cycling effect uh so that way it makes it so that tutoring for planes and putting into your hand is better than putting it into play yes uh and so these are things to like take into consideration and cycling would also just be really good or like some discard from your hand ability because it doesn't go into your rule of law taxes as well. Like there's so much more you could do into the whole planes synergy, but yeah, like these, these ramp effects don't have any real payoffs yet until we actually have something that like makes it worthwhile for us to just look for planes. 
Exactly. And and so if this card is is bad, it's not powerful enough. I mean, Stoic Farmer, it's crazy. It's four mana. It is four yeah. mana. Yeah. These these catch up effects cannot be four mana. It you're not at four if you're behind when you're at four lands and you haven't caught up yet. You need to really You're going to be up. behind for a while. Yeah, getting one land does not catch you up when you're at the time where you can spend four mana. It puts it into play tapped. <laughs> and it puts it into play tapped. So yeah. they, they need to stop with these like three to four mana catch-up cards. Like if you have a catch-up card, it has to be one or two. Think about it. Tithe does not see that much play anymore. Tithe mm. is a one mana draw two when you're behind. And it can get non-basics. Like the fact that that card doesn't see play, how is anyone going to play a four mana spell? Right, to yeah. do a worse version of that just because they get a generic 3-3 body. Hey, man, I play Tithe, okay? <laughs> but I'm saying, it, it, you know, it's still played, but it's getting played less and less. Uh-huh. And, like, you can't give us cards that are way worse than Tithe. It's just yeah. not going to work. Well, Tithe is also on the reserve list, and so they can't yeah. actually print something print. that's functionally like Tithe, unfortunately. I think that they could... There's another... There's that might actually be part of the problem. Like tithe. By the way, that actually might be part of the problem. It was because they're like, you know, like, um, what you call it? Thunder Spirit is on the reserve yeah. list. And that card is like, what, 170 some bucks. And it's just a flying first strike, three mana, two, two. But we've not had yeah. anything come close to that other than like the three mana, one, one flying double striker, uh, the the lean and something. Yeah. Right. And, and so like. It, it makes designing cards very difficult because you know that you can like creep uh like like power creep a card uh but yeah. you can't because there's some card in the reserve list it's just like oh well i can't print something close to this you know well i mean but they do have things like gift of estates that exist and i feel like that in land tax since there's other cards with that effect that exist that aren't reserve list i would hope that they feel free to get around that mm-hmm. restraint well, looking here at um, the, the 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 real the real meat here, um, and uh, to be to be clear, I think this will probably be our last one, just because of the fact that we're at the the two over the two hour mark, <laughs> and you're gonna you might have to do some editing. <laughs> uh, I might have to do some editing, and I have to do it tonight. Um, yeah. Oh man! So we're gonna we're gonna probably wrap it up here with this last section of card advantage and draw based on opponents' actions. And of course, we 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 really uh, everybody knows it. The the famous you know them you love them. The Mr. Grimoire on a stick, it's Esper Sentinel. Um, Flump, Gavany Dawn Guard, excuse me, Welcoming Vampire in Wedding Ring. And so these are kind of, most of these look like they're good cards. Uh, Wedding Ring, we don't seem to like, but uh, obviously we like Esper Sentinel. Esper Sentinel is the best white card that's been printed in a very long time. A very long time. It is. And the thing is, it's not broken. It is a it is a perfectly fine card. It is a very fair card. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this is a good example of the you know the once a, the once a turn thing. The fact that it only triggers on the first spell your opponent casts is not that bad because it turns out in a turn cycle of EDH, there's four turns, mm-hmm. and people like to cast spells on other people's turns. And I mean, it sees play in other formats too, right? Like it sees play in modern, and it sees play in legacy. 
and it sees play in all levels of EDH. Mm-hmm. So this is like a, a really slam dunk design. They even made it an artifact, which usually weakens it. But it turns out, you know, white likes artifact synergies. So this additional weakness is usually just makes it more interesting in other decks. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that Hammer Time can play it, just turn on Metalcraft. Or it can tutor fact, for it with Oswald or something. With Oswald, yeah. Like, it is, um, it's a really good card. I'm very happy they printed it. It's too bad that they can't just print, you know, Smepster Sentinel and then give me another copy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would love to have two in my decks. Maybe they'll make an enchantment version. It is exactly the same card. Oh, I yeah. would love that. Or maybe they Sentinel. make a version that, that, that taxes on creatures being played. Ooh, that would also be nice. Like you it, could what what if you did Heliod Sentinel, but instead of an artifact, it's an enchantment. I yeah. would love that. Please do that for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean but, so, there, yeah. there's so many ways to hash this. Like if an opponent plays a land and, and that land is like and they have more lands than you, right? Draw a card. Yeah, like th- that would be a great effect. And, <laughs> and I think that they can put them on small, efficient creatures like this. And yeah. I think that that is absolutely fine. A one, one for like one is that scale. Yeah. Like the fact that if you pump it, the tax scales is deceptively good. Yeah. Uh, it, it's good, not just like, obviously from a, as a Heliod player, great in Heliod. I can make this thing huge and I draw a lot of cards. But like, it's really good in other formats because it turns out you can sometimes just pump it. Like, mm-hmm. you know what happens when you put a hammer on Esper Sentinel? <laughs> you draw cards from your opponent. Like, they're, they're, like it is it is just such a good card. So if they keep going forward with this design space, I'll be super, super happy. Yep. Uh, yeah, there's no, I don't think there's anything else for us to say about Esper Sentinel that people don't already know. So it's good. Yeah, the card's good. Card's good. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm yeah. pretty sure WotC is already doing its own like self-assessment on how to replicate the success anyway. So yeah. Please more. Yeah. <laughs> Please more. I, I think the secret really good one that is also efficient, like as for Senator, is Flump. Mm-hmm. Now, people, I think, well, some people might think this is a controversial opinion. Everyone I know who's seen Flump enter the battlefield in a pod knows what I'm talking about. Everyone wants to attack into the flump mm-hmm. and it is so much better than secret rendezvous mm-hmm. because instead of saying, I hope there's a player behind me, I'll give them three cards. It says I'm only giving each opponent one card and I'm getting three. Yeah, you can and choose like almost every opponents. time I, you can choose. And so that makes it this interesting modal spell. Cause at the beginning of the game, you almost always are saying, Hey, swing into me. I'll give you the card and you both draw. And usually when I play this, I immediately draw three cards. You know, anyone who has a creature wants to swing into it. Even if it's a mana dork that they would have preferred to use for mana, often they'll, they'll swing into it. But then the late game, when people start trying to kill each other, because you're a white deck, so you're probably stacking them out. Now you say, if you swing at me, I'm giving the card to someone else. Do you want that person to get a card? And people don't. They just don't want that. So like it, it actually has two modes, and people are greedy. So the first mode of drawing you cards early on, seems to work it's really easy to goad people into attacking into it and that second mode of late in the game people don't want to swing at you because they don't want you to give their opponents cards it is a, an excellent mode that sometimes players even forget exists they'll just be like wait what do you mean you can target other people and it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's also very <laughs> it's also very adaptive as well like you say that you're in a complicated board state and you know that one other player is about to go off and the player who's going to try and stop them was like i didn't draw into my answer 
this turn and I was and but then the other player is like, oh well I'm gonna play, you know, uh this spell to to find a card at the top or something like that. Or I can like try and find my answer. Can you just give me the card instead if you attack into the flump, right? Yeah. And there's a lot going on. It's a perfect political card because it's not a group hug card, which I think some people think it is when they look at it. It's right. completely a political card and it's actually a political card that you have the control over the, the decisions more than a lot of previous printings of cards in this vein. So I, I think that it is like a, a super good card. I, you know, right now it's still in my CDH Iliad deck only because I'm too lazy to buy a maze mind tomb. I keep forgetting when I buy cards to get a copy of that one card. So <laughs> Flunk stays in, in that slot, but I always have fun with it and it draws me a lot of cards. I mean, I think in one game I drew nine cards off of it. Mm-hmm. Like, that that's amazing. That's game breaking. <laughs> that's game breaking. So yeah. I, I'm really I think that if they even want to print stuff in this vein, I'll be happy. I know it's not so good for sixty card formats, but I think there's a lot that can be done in EDH and high power and even in CDH with these like efficiently costed political cards that you know they reward you for your opponent trying to do things that they want to do. In this case, they want to draw cards, so you get to draw cards too. It's like it's 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 a pretty it's a pretty sweet card. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I know people hated on it, but like every time I play it, it, it seems to do well. Yeah, I think uh, they're they're actually working on more cards of this type of design. Uh, I know that the new casual design team that's being led by Melissa Detora uh has uh they, they they brought on i think one of the des- designers slash developers for uh for jack in the box mm-hmm. uh and and if you guys ever played any jack in the box games flump is right up their alley i believe and so we'll see more designs like this that have like these really like interesting rewards for interesting plays uh, from, yeah, yeah, because because I think like one of the things that they want to move in the direction with for Watsi's commander format is that they probably want more cards that uh, that don't win the game by you playing the cards, but help you make interest more interesting plays that can help you win the game. Yeah, and I think so. Like Gavney Dawnguard is in this vein too, right? It's giving decisions to your opponent. It's like. So this card, right, when it transitions from night to day or day to night, you get to look at the top, take a take a creature. And that, you know, it sounds really hard to pull off until you realize that actually you at least get to always make it switch to night, right? You can mm-hmm. always just not cast spells. And then someone has to come bring it back because everyone wants to double spell. And if there's two stack stacks at the table, there could be a lot of opportunities for like really multiple times in a turn cycle you to get this trigger and it's it's aggressively costed it's a three mana three three that's a that's pretty good Mm. if it etb'd and did something i would prefer it which is like you know in most cdh games when it etbs nothing happens because it's not day or night when it enters um it only becomes it you know, it becomes day when you play it, but that doesn't trigger the ability because it has to transition from day from night or, or night from day. But this is an engine that when it turns on is really, really good. And if you've ever played it like in, in Stride Draft, like it's a really powerful feeling card. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like that this is good design space, even though it's not necessarily good enough for CDH. This is more than good enough for, for mid and high EDH. And, I, and mm-hmm. I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah. Uh- Welcoming Vampire, I think, is also just 
pretty self-explanatory. I mean, we've seen, um, uh, what you might call it. It's really weird is because Innerstride was also the set that introduced Mentor of the Meek, right? Mm-hmm. And so, it, it would, of course, it would be Innerstride that, that we'd see a new and improved, uh, or not improved, but but a new version of Mentor of the Meek. Um, and, and the thing is, you know, they people are mad about the once per turn thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's fine. You know, maybe this could have been costed at two with the once per turn cause. Um, cause you're definitely not double spelling when you play this and you're not drawing off of it. So you're probably not going to draw a card until next turn. So maybe it could have been a two mana, but overall, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty good. Just drawing without having to do anything else. Nothing changes about your gameplay once it's in play. That's the problem with mentor of the make. You're constantly like behind a turn if you want to draw the card. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. It gives you a decision point, but it gives you a very annoying decision point. Yeah. Um, and for this one, I, I think that this is good. I do think, you know, one of the reasons why it had to be once per turn is like, you don't want to make raise the alarm, draw two cards. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, you needed a safety valve for, for token effects. Yeah. It could have been whenever one or more enters, draw a card. If right, that would work for raise the alarm to just draw you one card. Mm-hmm. Um, but like other token generators where you could generate tokens multiple times in a turn, it would be really, really, really good. I mean, like uh, we, we look at this and compare it to like Esper Sentinel, right? And, and I think that the once per turn is very like trivial in the format that, that this will probably be like very influenced by, which is CDH, right? Mm-hmm. You have multiple turns before it gets to your turn. And so uh, in, in a format where people are playing so low to the ground creatures, like this will trigger off of just Najila attacking. Right. And there's nothing that the mm-hmm. Najula player can do about it. Right. You're just going to get a free card off of their own player action. Uh, oh, oh, welcoming vampires only that you control, right? Uh, oh, so sorry. Sorry. I missed that part. Yeah. yeah. It's a uh, ETA. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if it had been, so that's another thing though. They could have made this for all players. <laughs> I think. I think they could. I think, I think they should. I think they need to make one now, now that I mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> uh that would be really great but regardless i mean like i think it's also fine in a mono white deck where especially if you have like a rule of law effect out like you compare this uh to gavany Dawnguard, right mm-hmm. and uh gavany Dawnguard works less well if there's a rule of law out because then you have less control over day and night manipulation but with like welcoming vampire i think it actually works even better with rule of law out because um it because because you you can only really play like one spell a turn if you play like a hate bear you draw a card but you can now like moderate um everyone else's like productivity but still generate advantage for yourself mm-hmm. uh at the same time and this thrives in that type of situation you know yeah so i, I think this was a, a well-designed card it could be pushed maybe a little bit more but i think that this is this is good. This is and like all of these four cards are a great step in the right direction. And my understanding from listening to some of Maro's stuff and reading some tweets and watching some of Gavin's videos, like this is the direction they're going in. I think these four cards really represent what they're trying to do to push white, and that's great. I, I will be very right. happy to see more of more of this. Right. The only yeah. one I didn't like was Wedding Ring, and the reason why I wanted to bring this up is that there are certain cards that need to be costed aggressively to be good. And I think wedding ring is one of those cards where 
for what it does, it costs too much mana. You don't like you don't draw enough fast enough, right? And and also they can benefit off of it. Because mm-hmm. um, they get their copies. So then when you draw cards, they get cards. Right. I, I will never understand. I'm actually just I wanted to look up how much this costs, this card. Do you know how much wedding ring costs no in money in in real money? It's like $23. $23. Why in God's name? Probably because everyone's proposing to their significant other with this stupid card. (laughs) 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 But, but, but yeah, you okay? (laughs) Charles, Charles, you're you're making me, you're killing me with that joke. Um, (laughs) But but literally this should have cost two two mana probably. Yeah. I, I think this cost for for being four mana for not drawing a card until their turn. The fact that they're gonna draw off you, like, how is this good enough? I, I, I it it's sad. It's just it could be so much better if it was more aggressively costed, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And and now you're not, you're not gonna see many competitive decks. I think this will be. I mean. Besides the creepy stuff that people can do with this card, um, this will be probably good for low and mid power EDH. Yeah, but I th- it's, yeah, I think it's just the casual players. I think the casual players just love it. Uh, it, it looks fun, uh, and to them, it feels powerful. Uh, and so, mm-hmm. and I don't know what necessarily goes on with what casual players tend to do on their turn. I'm guessing that there's a lot of like masturbatory playing solitaire draw draw a bunch of cards on my turn type of thing and so everyone who sees wedding ring is like oh this is the perfect card against that that person who likes to draw all those cards right and 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 i think this also plays into the hype that like people think that white is just really bad and needs the card draw uh and uh and this is and to them, like this feeds off of that type of hype, but this is probably not the card that they're looking for, honestly. Uh, yeah, in my mind, no. it's like, you know, you're, if your opponent is smart and they get wedding ringed by you, they can as easily abuse this against you. Like, think about mm-hmm. it when, like, your opponent is like, on your turn, you have an Esper Sentinel out, and your opponent's like, all right, I'm going to play a non-creature spell, and I'm not going to pay the one. You draw a card on your turn, great. I get to draw a card off of the spell that I played, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that just doesn't really feel good. Yeah. Well, that about wraps things up first year today. We didn't get to hit everything that we wanted to talk about, but, um, you know. We hit the important things. We hit, the we only hit thing the I want to say, Oswald Fiddlebender, good card. It does yes. all the things. <laughs> yes. We didn't get to Oswald. Yeah, Oswald is a certified is good, good card. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like Search for Glory. This is the other one. But yeah. Search yes. for Glory is yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and don't don't print more Runeforge champions. Thanks, Washi. <laughs> uh well that is gonna be our last episode for the year we're gonna be coming back in january after uh the holiday break uh mostly because of the fact that on wednesday of this week i am going to be leaving for ohio so i will not be even available to edit episodes um Mm. but we've got some vacation well, I, yeah, we're going to see family and I'm probably going to see the playing with power crew at some point. Nice. Um, nice. But uh, 
Yeah, so uh, this is our last episode of the year, and it's crazy to think that we've now had a full year of content creation under our belts, and mm. this is wild. And we've made new friends along the way. We've uh, added Michael to our ranks. We've added Sage to our ranks. Um, we've got a we've got a we've got a good crew of mind of sculpty boys, I'd say. Um, we have grown quite a bit. Um, but uh, next year, we've got some new stuff planned. Uh, we'll be bringing, uh, as always, uh, the same CEDH content. We're going to be uh, in January or February, I think, is when we're going to be getting gameplay back up and going. But I'm also going to be doing some videos that aren't about magic, that are just video essays where I'm going to talk about things that I'm interested in. Um and see if you guys like them. And I think the first one is going to be like a series of videos about Dragon Age because Dragon Age is fucking amazing. Um, <laughs> for the last like month, I've just been obsessed with Dragon Age. Um, so, uh, but yeah, well, thank you both for uh, being my co-hosts for today and giving your thoughts about where Mono White is in the year we had. Um Thanks for thanks for having us. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll be happy to come back in a year and talk about how Esper Seno is no longer a good card. <laughs> so many broken white cards. <laughs> Esper Seno is no longer good. I, that'll, that'll be the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're going to be talking more about flashcards and white next year, I believe. Yeah, probably. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. I, I will be very happy if there's more flashcards. We can talk more about the amazingness, which is giving creatures flash. Yeah. Mm. That's, this, this, this is going to change the way we think about playing magic when our creatures are now like instants. And if it's not instant, it's like if we're not playing spells on our, on our opponent's turn, what are we doing? Well, uh, anyway, I still play modern. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you want to follow us on uh, Twitter, you can head on over to our Twitter at Sculpty Boys. Or if you want an easier way of trying to figure out how to spell that, you can just find a direct link in our link tree in the description below. Uh, in that link tree, there is also a uh, links to all of our Moxfield accounts. So if you want to and all of our personal Twitter. So if you want to find us on Twitter, you want to find uh, our Moxfield accounts and see what we're working on you can go check that out i uh, want to also give an extra shout out and special thanks to some of our higher tier patrons just M, david snavely dionichis james holly matt boehner in senior coupon my favorite um <laughs> if you too would like to become a patron you can head on over to patreon.com slash the mind sculptors or check out a link in the description Thank you again for joining us and from all of us here at the Mind Sculptors. Happy holidays and happy new year. We'll see you next time. I'm in line with the stars. I'm in sync with the earth. Ten toes deep, flower child from the turf. I never switch sides. Like even when I die, I'm a ride for the squad. Let our ties in the hearse. I've been on a vibe kind of hard to describe. I'm in between. I'm good and it's fine, but I'm tired of the grind. Then I come alive in the night to realize I'm in the middle of the time of my life. I'm never so packed for the stack. Never lied on the back. Got a bag. Bill.
my lips feel big from the bit. Take a sip till I pass out. Try and get grip, but it don't make sense. Cause you can lose life on this fast route. Yeah, turn thoughts to a cash cow. I might flip that to the glass house. I don't need the accolades, I'm in love with the chase. I just wanna eat, save a spot at the table. Beast with the slap, hit myself on the map. You long with the wind, but we knowin' that it's cap. Five hour flights, couple nights at the flat. To be real, could you see me making moves while I'm at? Myself to the page, I don't do it for the praise, love. That's just how I'm made. Truth in the glass <laughs> in the mirror. Yeah. Do it at me, old man. Trying to pass in the fear. You're the first one to talk, but the last one to hear. Eyes blurry, but I couldn't see the ass any clear.